Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello, welcome to the show. Julian Destoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell who continues to enjoy a family trip to Japan. Massive show coming up and uh, jump on the Werribee Kia open line awarded national Kia car dealer of the year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Anything you want to talk about are the double standards at the Tigers uh, having their home final for the AFLW at Punt Road when... Of course, they didn't have to travel down to Geelong uh, a few years ago. Or was it a common sense decision? And if you're a Richmond AFLW player, are you delighted uh, that your club has uh, been passionate about you getting a home fault? In saying that, their record at Punt Road isn't that good. So it might not actually help them uh, against North Melbourne on the weekend. They are squads, really, isn't it? We've had the women's uh, AFLW All-Australian squad come out. And congratulations uh, to all the players, but three in particular, Emma Carney, Ali Blackburn and Ebony Marinoff, who have been in the squad every year, seven years in a row. So seven years since the competition started, those three stars have been in the squad every year. So congratulations to those three. We've seen the Australian Test Squad come out. No surprises uh, in that one. A bit similar to the one-day uh, squad, but Travis Head basically coming in to replace Aaron Finch. Uh, Marcus Harris uh, is back in the squad. There's no Michael Nisa, Mitchell Swepson or Jai Richardson, uh, who were in the Ashes squad last year. Swepson played in the last test uh, over in Sri Lanka. You'd think Josh Hazelwood comes back and takes his spot in that team. So no surprises there. But the big squad announcement uh, will be later on today. That is the Socceroos squad uh, for the World Cup. Now, some stories have already emerged about who's in and who's out. And certainly... The one that's got everyone uh, scratching their heads a little bit. It's got some former Socceroos, including Tommy Orr and Robbie Cornthwaite, uh, a bit hot under the collar, is the expected omission or non-selection of a man that's pretty much been seen as Australia's number two goalkeeper. Uh, he was coerced out of retirement to possibly get a chance uh, in this World Cup, and that's Mitch Langerat. So the reports are he has been uh, left out. So we'll speak to James Dodd uh, from Fox Sports uh, very shortly about uh, what he's hearing about this squad. So it's named at 4 o'clock uh, this afternoon. Uh, Simon Hill uh, will also join us uh, later on the show to get his thoughts about the squad, who he expects to be in the squad, and his reaction to a couple of these uh, early stories about who's not in. The other one that's uh, been reported not to be in is Adam Taggart, who's uh, fallen out of favour in his club team, hasn't played much lately. Looks like he is going to miss out. But uh, So... As always, with any squad, there's going to be some controversial inclusions uh, and some controversial omissions, uh, and that certainly looks like it's going to be the case uh, with the Socceroos squad uh, for the World Cup. So plenty of football on the show. Simon Hill and James Dodd. Uh, going to talk some racing after 1 o'clock with a man that had a, a fantastic spring, uh, Jamie Mott, uh, jockey. He's been around for a long time, and uh, two Group 1 wins. He had his first Group 1 win in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes, and then on Saturday, uh, a, a big victory in the champion sprint on Rockin' Horse, who knocked off Nature Strip. So it's been a fantastic carnival uh, for Jamie Mott. has got a great story. Like a lot of jockeys, battled some uh, serious injuries, battled some weight issues, but uh, a couple of major breakthroughs uh, this spring. So we'll speak to Jamie uh, just after 1 o'clock today. 
Uh, also, some basketball with Kane Pittman. Uh, you know, stories about Ben Simmons. Dallas Mavericks has got some interest. What's going on with Kyrie Irving? What's happening in the NBL? Very unpredictable competition at the moment. Uh, some big news uh, out of Adelaide today as well, uh, cutting their import Craig Randall, who's been good on the court, but uh, seems to be a very disruptive force off it. So he's been cut. So what does that mean uh, for the Adelaide 36ers who haven't had a great start to the season? And also, we're going back to previous drafts. So 20 days to go until the uh, 2022 version of the AFL draft. So we're going to go way back to 2002. So yesterday we spoke to Adam Schneider, who was picked 60 uh, in the 2000. And one super draft went on out of a great career with St Kilda and Sydney. Today, we're going to speak to a man that was the third last selection in the draft in 2002. The last three picks were all went off to Carlton. One was Mick Martin. The other one was Carl Norman, whose career ended quite abruptly uh, after getting into some trouble. And the, the man we're going to speak to is Brad Fisher. So he went on to play 99 games for the Blues. Uh, and just couldn't quite get to game 100. He was pick 72 in that draft. He was sort of Brendan Favolder's foil in the Ford line for a long time. He's now uh, got his own building company, had two ACLs and a heap of injuries uh, throughout his career. Also spent some time uh, at the AFL Players Association. So Brad Fisher will join us uh, just after 1.30. Now, of course, yesterday we, we sort of launched one of the topics for the week, uh, which is the best 22 moments in footy since 2000. A heap of nominations uh, yesterday, I would love to get involved again. one 736 736 or send us a temper text. 0433 Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 winks, serious about sleep. So had a heap of nominations yesterday. If you missed it, I'll just give you a couple more examples uh, of what we're looking for. And uh, so this is moments. It's not Richmond breaking a premiership drought and the Bulldogs breaking a premiership drought or the massive stories that have been uh, part of the first two decades of this century in footy, like the Essendon Supplement Scandal or, you know, Ross Lyon walking out on the Saints, Malcolm Blight being sacked at St Kilda. It's just about specific moments on and off the field. And, look, we don't promote violence, of course, but there was a couple of significant dust-ups uh, since 2000. We'll just uh, play them for you now. It is on everywhere in here, boys. Spot fires all over the place. And there it is, Pachoni, all McFall, oh, and Vandenberg letting lefts and rights go oh, over the feet. can't do that. Welsh to remonstrate with Vandenberg. This is the 1980s revisited. Gardner and Pavlich out of immediately, down in the goal square. A couple of heavyweights, and Gardner is leading with that left. Pavlich is going after him. They're coming from everywhere, Dennis. Oh, it was they're... a free kick. Game and tempers are flying. So the players are very, very aggressive. Oh. Dale Kickett has oh. just thrown a couple. Look at this, Dennis. This is not good. Okay, so you've got the line in the sand between Hawthorne in 2004 and the demolition derby, as they say, over in WA in 2000. So, look, as we say, that, don't promote violence. You know, Richard Vandenberg, I think, got six weeks for his involvement in that one. Dale Kicker got nine. But they were significant because it really did spawn the rivalry between West Coast and Fremantle. It was, it was one-way traffic until that time. Fremantle only won one derby before that game. That was in 1999. And that was just a statement from Fremantle. They, they came back in that game from five goals down and uh, won only their second uh, ever derby victory. Uh, so that was that was significant because it was the day Fremantle stood up and said, OK, we're not going to be the little brother anymore and uh, we're going to dish it out. And they won on the scoreboard. And uh, ever since, 
you know, it's gone back and forth, this rivalry at times. The Eagles have had the better of it. More recent times, Fremantle have certainly had uh, the better of it as well. So that was significant. And the Hawthorne one, look, big rivals in the 80s. But let's be honest, throughout the 90s and the early part of the 2000s, that that rivalry was dormant. It, It just... You know, Hawthorne was struggling. Uh, the Bombers were up the top. Essendon were always beating Hawthorne. They, they hadn't lost to them uh, between 97 and 2005. They were getting thrashed at halftime uh, that day. So that was a significant moment. A, it, it was Hawthorne making a stand. B, it just got this rivalry going again. And we've seen plenty of uh, incidents in matches between Essendon and Hawthorne since, probably most notably in 2009 when Matthew Lloyd uh, ran through Brad Sewell. So, they were two significant moments. That's the sort of thing we're looking for. And another one here. So, okay, Port Adelaide won their first flag in 2004. They beat the Brisbane Lions, who, of course, were going for four flags in a row. But really the story out of it was Mark Williams. So Mark Williams, 2001, 2 and 2003, they were in the top four. They, they lost qualifying finals at home. They didn't make a grand final. So there was so much pressure uh, on Mark Williams going into 2004. And all that emotion got the better of him at the final siren, or just before the final siren in the 2004 Grand Final. Outpouring of emotion from Mark Williams. He's the proudest man in the land tonight. Look at that. And Choco, have a look at him. Choker's no more, he says. And Alan Scott, you're wrong. One of the great grabs on stage, Alan Scott, you were wrong. So for those that aren't familiar with that story, Alan Scott uh, was the major sponsor of Port Adelaide. I think it was after 2003. Uh, he made some public comments that Port Adelaide will never win a flag while Mark Williams is the coach. So Mark Williams couldn't resist uh, a dig back. So uh, give us a call with your nominations, uh, and we're going to name our final 22 uh, on Thursday. Werribee Kia open line is open, one 736 736 or on the temper text 0433 98 Got plenty of texts coming through about Brendan Gale's comments as well. So we'll play them for you uh, shortly. But let's get to Bruce in Parkdale, who's jumped on the line. G'day, Bruce. Uh, Jules, I reckon um, St Kilda and the Cats when they were both 14 zip. Because you don't, you don't get that very often in the season. No, we spoke about that one yesterday, bro. It's a good call. I think it's the best game of footy I've ever seen live. And you're right, it was after round 13. They were both undefeated and an amazing game. We probably sort of narrowed it down to the moment being, you know, Michael Gardner taking the big mark and kicking the goal uh, right near the end to get the Saints across the line. But uh, it was a fantastic game of footy, and we saw what happened uh, later in the year in the grand final was almost as good. Very different conditions, obviously under the roof at Marvel compared to a wet grand final day, and that seesawed all day uh, as we spoke to Adam Snyder about uh, yesterday. Uh, and in the end, the Cats got the better of the Saints, where the Saints got the better of them uh, in that home-and-away game. Uh, great call, uh, Bruce. Uh, 18 holes of golf. For two with a cart at Club Mandalay, log on to clubmandalay.com.au. You can get uh, midweek rounds for 99 bucks with a cart uh, and some drinks. So fantastic conditions. The weather is improving in Melbourne, uh, so a really good time to get out there and play some golf at Club Mandalay. Let, let's just revisit Brendan Gale's comments if you didn't hear him on the end of the show with Waitley. So a lot of talk about, is this the right decision? Richmond's been given a home final at Punt Road. Only holds 2,800 people. Even people that go to the ground say that it's not a great venue uh, to watch footy compared to um, Icon Park and and Victoria Park. And we saw North Melbourne and Richmond have uh, more than 2,800 for their game two weeks ago at Arden Street. So where the competition at, is this the right decision uh, to be denying people access? Uh, Brett and Gale was on. And first of all, he was asked by Jared Waitley why they were so determined to have this game at Punt Road. 
Oh, look at it at its most fundamental, Jared. I think it's it's a matter of first principles. Um, you know, at our core, we're in the, we're in the business of developing teams that that compete and, and try and win. And uh, our girls have worked really hard to put themselves in a position to earn the double chance. And you know, it's been a really challenging year. I mean, two 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 seasons in a calendar year, of course. And we wanted to enhance their chances and give them every possible opportunity to win the game. Um, I think that goes that goes to the core of the decision. So that was why. Now, it's been interesting because we know uh, 2017, uh, Geelong would have loved to have had their home final um, down at Cadinia Park when they qualified second. Richmond were third. It was at the MCG. Richmond went on to win and obviously go on to win the flag. So it does beg the question, is there a little bit of uh, double standards down at Punt Road? Oh, I'm not. Look, with, with the men's, it, it really is largely a matter for the AFL. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure whether I've been an outspoken advocate. I mean, in finals, um, you know, we play where we're told. And, you know, it's no surprise, Gerald, you know, as well as I do. It really does come down to attendances and economics at the end of the day. Um, it's important the AFL maximise attendances. And when you're talking about differences of 40, 50, 60,000 and millions of dollars, which is invested back in the game. Um, I can understand that. Um, it's a matter of degree. I mean, there's, there's no, there are no perfect decisions in football, Jared. It's, it's a fool's gold, and, uh, and we've got to make the right decisions. And we just think, um, in the circumstances, you know, given what I've discussed, um, this is the right decision, you know, uh, for the Richmond Football Club. It's probably fair to say, um, but you know, it's our job to represent the interests of, of the Richmond Footy Club as best we can. That was Brendan Gale on Waitley there. A lot of a response on the 40 Winks uh, temper. Just read out a couple now before we get uh, to the break and get to Ian in Ferntree Gully as well. Uh, one here, I don't mind the packed smaller ground atmosphere for the AFLW, but if you missed a ticket, just grab a milk crate and stand outside the fence at Punt Road. Uh, I'm using Darren as a Cats fan. Darren in Geelong nearly drove off 13th Beach Road after the Richmond CEO interview. Uh, Glenn from Heighton down in Geelong as well. Great to hear that Brendan Gale is now so flexible while being determinedly inflexible about the AFLW final at Punt Road. For the past 20 years, Richmond have strongly resisted going down to Cadinia Park during the season proper. Well, as he said, that, that's, not, that's not Richmond's call. That, that the AFL does the fixturing, and Essendon, Collingwood, uh, Carlton, all these big clubs, even Hawthorne in recent years, that they haven't played down there. So that, that's not Richmond's doing. Uh, in fact, they've been to Geelong only once in the past decade. The new 42,000 capacity at GMHBA Stadium should correct that anom- anomaly. I never say that probably. Hello, Tigers to Geelong in 2023 if a Cats-Tigers home fixture is scheduled, says Glenn in height. And so keep them coming through on the 40 Winks uh, temper. Also, Hawthorne fans, if you heard uh, Peter Nankerville's uh, interview with Jared Waitley this morning, a whole host of topics, including the upcoming uh, board election on December 13, um, his thoughts on the um, racism, racism investigation and, and what the outcome or what the best outcome for everyone is. And then obviously the football side as well, Hawthorne, Clearly going very young last year, traded out some very good players again in the trade period. And uh, he did say they're aiming for seven flags by 2050. So any thoughts on that, Hawthorne fans, uh, give us a call, one 736 736 Ian from Ferntree Gully jumped on the Werribee Care open line, wants to give us an AFL moment. G'day, Ian. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Uh, yeah, i just got a bit of a rivalry for you in yeah. the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, Geelong Fremantle. Uh, 
You got uh, Scarlet and uh, Ballantyne. Yep. Uh, Ablett and Crowley. And Ling and Solomon. Bit of a left field one. Yeah, I just thought about Ling and Solomon. Yeah, that was a, a nasty elbow from uh, Dean Solomon. It's been a good rivalry, that one. There's been a couple that have really built. You know, you've got the obvious ones uh, in the last 20 years. You know, obviously the West Coast Sydney. Three or four years there they had, which, you know, included two grand finals, Geelong and Hawthorne, after Jeff Kennett famously said that, uh, you know, the Hawks just win the big games against the Cats, and the Cats went on to win the next 12. Um, Bulldogs-Giants in recent times has been fiery, and there's been players swapping clubs. But you're right, uh, Fremantle-Geelong, you know, you had that final down there as well that you mentioned uh, in 2013 that Fremantle... Uh, beat Geelong, and there's certainly been no love lost between their players. So good nomination, uh, Ian. A $50 Brick Lane Brewing voucher coming your way. So uh, plenty more time to take your calls uh, before we get to James Dodd to talk about this Socceroo squad. They're just getting – we haven't got it named yet, but there's, as it always does on the day of a squad being announced, stories are emerging left, right, and centre about who's in, who's not. Uh, the omission of Mitch Langerak is creating a lot of uh, – Tension, uh, Tommy Orr and Robbie Cornthwaite, two uh, former Socceroos, not happy with the decision, and they've taken to Twitter to voice uh, their disgust. So we'll speak to James Dodd uh, very shortly. But after the break, more time to take your calls. We might also hear uh, from the potential next president of Hawthorne, uh, Peter Nankerville. So you're listening to Afternoons. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly and Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Before we get to Rowan and Richard on the Werribee Kia open line, bit of news, uh, cricket news. Uh, now, no one watches more net sessions than our own Bharat Sundaresan, and he's over watching India, and some bad news potentially for India. Rohit Sharma has been hit on the hand while batting, uh, was in obvious discomfort, uh, team doctor out there, and then he walked out of the nets without facing another ball. So that is a major concern uh, for India with the semi-final just two days away uh, against England. So we'll just keep an eye on that one as the afternoon unfolds. Also a bit of news around in the NRL. Uh, their fixture is about to be released. Very different season in the NRL next season. Every team's going to have three buys. Season's going to start on the 2nd of March, which is the earliest it started uh, since in, in 22 years, 31 weeks the season's going to go over. And it looks like the Melbourne Storm will feature uh, in the season opener on Thursday, March the 2nd, away against Parramatta. So uh, that draw is not too far away from being released. But the, the round one draw is already being uh, reported and it's expected that uh, Parramatta and the Melbourne Storm will kick the season off. Let's go to Rowan in Gulfview Heights over in SA who's got a footy moment for us. G'day, Rowan. G'day. Yeah, I've got one for you. I'm not sure if it's come up yet or not, but round 19, 2013, 35, Angus Monfrey, top great <laughs> goal. Uh, are you a port man or a crows man? I'm a port man, so I was pretty happy one with of that the, one. One of the great <laughs> bounces of all time, that one. That was a fluke one. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> that was a, That is a great showdown moment, and uh, I remember that. Didn't... Refresh my memory. Didn't Port come from three or four goals down in the last quarter to, to win that game? Yeah, so we're about four goals down with five minutes left, and that was the second last goal. Then all the fact that thirty seconds left, and Wingard marks forty meters out on about forty-five grand, it'll kick the winner. That's right. Yeah, great memories, out, Rowan. Thanks so much for your call. Let's get to Richard in Cows. G'day, Richard. Good afternoon, mate. Um, look, you made a comment that. Uh, Geelong GMHVA Stadium will be 42,000 seated 
Look, that may be fine for the women's, but for the men's, whenever Geelong play Richmond, Collingwood, Essendon, Carlton or Hawthorne, those games are always be played at the MCG because they're going to double that full stop. Are you talking about finals or are you talking about any home and away game? I'm talking about home and away games or finals. They will always be played at the MCG because you're going to be double whatever you're talking about. You made a comment about 42,000 yep, yep. at that GMHBA study. Well, that that is nowhere near big enough for what they want. And for the men's comp I'm talking about. Yeah, look, I, I think there's certain times you can play home and away games in, in, with those teams down there because there's been times where Carlton's been down the bottom. Essendon played down there a, a couple of years ago because they were struggling and they were fixtured to play down there. So, look, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think they can host uh, home games down there if they can get 42,000 uh, in. Um, but I think it's a little bit horses for courses as well. It, it, it's a tough one because... For integrity purposes, Geelong should play all their games down there, but they're contractually got to play some at Marble, some at the MCG. They play, I think, nine uh, at GMHBA last season. So I don't necessarily agree that it's an open-shut case that they should never play those big four clubs uh, down there at GMHBA Stadium. Uh, Thanks for your call, Richard. A family pass to the Women's Big Bash Festival, thanks to City Power, is there if you'd like it. Enjoy the cricket from people who power it. Uh, Before the news, let's get to Chris in Berwick. G'day, Chris. Yes, g'day, mate. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Um, the best moment I've ever seen as far as the punch-up is when uh, Alistair Lynch got into Shane Wakelin in the grand final. Uh, and uh, yeah. Lynch, Lynch, Lynch was just throwing left, right and centre. And I, I think he got eight weeks or something. Yeah, I think he got ten. For doing yeah. It. That's, that's right. But I've never seen never seen a player attack another player like he did. No, it was uh, poor old Daryl Wakeland uh, on the end of it. Well, thankfully, uh, Alistair missed. And I know he's spoken about it several times. He's embarrassed about what happened that day. So he'd done his quad. He, he basically couldn't run. He was he knew he was it was his last game. He was about to go off the ground injured, and uh, he just lost it, unfortunately. And that, yeah, that was a real spiteful grand final, that one. Jonathan Brown got Josh Carr. Uh, you know, Alistair Lynch, uh, Daryl Wakeland moment. So, yeah, that, that was one of the, the moments uh, from that grand final, uh, no doubt. Let's get the latest from the newsroom. Trout from Woodend is going to join us afterwards. Uh, I thought he might have a view on the Tigers playing at Punt Road, but it looks like he's got a footy moment for us as well. But let's get the latest from the newsroom with April Austin. He did the most uh, Anna, not uh, April. Apologies there, uh, Anna. Uh, plenty coming through on our 40 Winks uh, tip. Have you got a view on the Australian uh, Test squad? or the one-day squad. A couple of people saying here, how does Peter Hanscom not get a cap in a test series? Still poor, poor leadership by the selectors. Uh, plenty others coming through for nominations. This is a good one, uh, Simon from Frankston. Uh, another amazing, but I hadn't, I've totally forgot about this one, but very weird moment in AFL was when umpire Peter Carey took that crazy mark. Unfortunately, that was in 1999, so it just misses the, the cut. Fremantle St Kilda going. I think Adrian Fletcher might have been the man that kicked the ball, and for some reason the field umpire decided to take a mark. For those that uh, haven't seen it, but just misses the cut, unfortunately. Simon, let's get to Trout in Woodend. He's got a moment for us. Um, I'll fall off my chair if it doesn't involve Richmond. G'day, Trout. How you going, mate? I'm good, mate. all the listeners out there. Um, just a, two quick points. One's the, the Geelong round. But going back 10 to 15 years ago, the Geelong Footy Club complained to the AFL that they weren't getting any of the big top four clubs, the Bombers, Tigers, Pies or Carlton down there. So what we had to do is we were one of the first ones, and I think even then Melbourne went down as well, 
they started rostering lower teams that were big clubs to go down there and play just to keep the Geelong yep. supporters and all that happy because they kept getting interstate ones. But it's no good for us big clubs going down there because it's, it's it's just so hard to get to and it's just it's just not the right place to go. Um, I don't agree with going down there. I think it, it's some have to go, but not everyone. So not everyone wants to go down to Geelong either. So you've got to remember that. Now, I've got a, a little bit of a doozy for you. I could be wrong, but I, I clearly remember, I might be wrong, there was a player that was playing at the MCG, and it was Richmond versus somebody, and they, was either the Richmond guy tried to clean someone up at the punt road end, just off the boundary, and didn't get him, but got reported for a week for, the, for an attempt, and I think it might involve Justin Platt, whether he nearly got cleaned up or someone, do you remember that? Not really, I do remember Justin Platt, he burst onto the scene, uh... No, it doesn't come straight to mind there, Trout. Or, or, or it could have been Brett Evans, the Birdman. I, I'm not sure. I, I mem- yeah, I think, I think they got they got a week, or someone tried to get they got a week that tried to clean them up, and there was no contact, and we were all in shock. Going, well, if he didn't get him, how can you spend the game? But I think they suspended him on the oh, if he could have what the, the damage old, he could have done. Uh, the old attempted, that was going attempted to be striking. So maybe someone, mate. Yeah, maybe someone out there might remember it. I remember something happening, but I just can't remember the exact incident. Yeah, beautiful. If anyone can remember that one, uh, give us a call or send us a, a text on the 40 Wings Temper, 0433-981116. Let's get to Richard in Narrywan. Wants to have a chat about Benny Gale. G'day, Richard. Hey, Jules. Just listening to Benny before, I wondered whether that famous interview where, as the CEO, he stated that they wanted to win three premierships, have 100,000 members, and be financially free by 2020. Everyone just laughed at him and said, you're joking, mate. And uh, he said, no, you've got to dream big or else there's no point. I wondered whether that qualified for a moment in our time that was special. Well, I think it was a significant uh, moment in Richmond's recent history, wasn't it? You're right. Not one person thought, yeah, no, that's that's a fair call, Benny. That That's achievable for Richmond. I mean, you've got to remember at the time that they were in a, a massive amount of debt. They hadn't won a final since 2001. Uh, and looked like, you know, winning a premiership. So, no, it's a good point, uh, Richard. It was a, a significant statement from Brendan Gale and one that well, they, they did it, which no one thought uh, they could do. So uh, he's been a fantastic administrator, hasn't he, Brendan Gale? And... Yeah, a lot of people think he should be the, the next one to take over from Gillan McLaughlin. Uh, we'll see what happens there, uh, whether he's a legitimate candidate uh, or not. Thanks for your call, uh, Richard. Uh, a mystery craft beer bundle uh, coming your way. Let's get another breakaway on afternoons. Let's turn our attention to what this big announcement will be today, and that is the Socceroos squad uh, for the World Cup in Qatar. There's already stories emerging, and James Dodd from Fox Sports, a former colleague of mine at Fox Sports, does support the Gooners. A little bit disappointing. Apart from that, he's a good fella. He'll just uh, give us the latest on some of the names that have, have already um, sort of snuck out and been reported uh, to have missed out. We'll do that after the break on Afternoons. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. So 4 o'clock this afternoon, we'll find out the squad that Graham Arnold has named for the upcoming World Cup. We love a squad because everyone's got their opinions. There's millions of selectors around the country. And as always, as you'd expect on the day of a, a big squad being announced, stories are emerging of who's in 
And who's out? One man that's been all over it uh, is James Dodd, who's left Fox. I think he's on the way to the A-League uh, now. He's been good enough to join us uh, today. G'day, James. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm good. What are you doing leaving Fox? What's happened there? I am, uh, yeah, I've got uh, an exciting opportunity come up that's um, going to be working, you know, full-time back in, in football uh, rather than sort of mixing across multiple sports. But, yeah, really good um, opportunity coming up starting next week, which will be seeing me really back out in the field and, and telling stories with players and, and exciting content and everything that comes around you know, the, the stories that emerge from football. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to it. Beautiful. Now, speaking of stories emerging in football, there's there's already controversy. We don't even know the squad uh, officially yet, but uh, just looking at some Twitters blowing up, you know, Tommy Orr and Robbie Cornthwaite are two that just are less scratching their heads that it appears that Mitch Langerak won't be in this squad. What What's your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, it is. Um, it's always a strange one, Jules, because you know, with with most positions in these squads, you you can normally get a, a good feel on on who's going to be in there. You know, centre forwards, those players who are scoring goals, other players who are who are perhaps combined, you know, and, and contribute in different ways in terms of build up and stuff like that. You know, there's always usually a place for for four, maybe five of those, but. With the goalkeeping situation, it's a strange one for the soccerers because you would think that Matt Ryan is is the lock. You know, he's the captain of the team. He is the number one, despite the fact that, you know, he hasn't really played an awful lot of football over the last couple of seasons with Raul Sociedad in, in Spain and then FC Copenhagen now that their their first choice goalkeeper is back. So with Matt, you think, well, you know, maybe his position could be under threat. And then you look at Mitch Langrak, you know, a player that hadn't played for the Socceroos for, for a period of time. He was in the squads, but then decided because of the, the strict quarantine rules that apply to, to, to players moving in and out of Japan, it was going to be really difficult for him and his family. So it, he made himself unavailable for selection. Now, whether or not, deep down, that has, you know, that has played against him here. Nobody knows until Graham Arnold answers those questions later on. But... I think when you've had a player that's actually the stat is that Mitch Langrak has kept more clean sheets in the last 18 months or so of football than Matt Ryan has actually played games. Now, that's quite alarming. It shows you just how well Mitch Langrak has been doing over in Japan. You know, he was the, he was the MVP for his, for his team. He's broken records for the amount of clean sheets he's kept. So he couldn't have done anything more. The only question mark, I suppose, then is that maybe... You know, we've seen when players pull out of international duty before, maybe some people take that as a bit of a snub against them, not wanting to be part of the squad. And I don't think Mitch has that character bowl of accounts because, you know, he said to Graham Arnold before the friendlies with New Zealand, I want to be back. Like, I'm, you know, I'm putting my hand up. I'd love to be back in the fold. I'm not expecting to come walk straight in as number one. You know, and maybe that's maybe that's just just played against him. But there's undoubtedly uh, an enormous amount of trust from Graham, uh, Graham Arnold in Matt Ryan. And, and I mentioned the you know the lack of minutes that Matt Ryan has played. He's also carrying a slight knee injury, which makes that Mitch Langerak decision slightly you know even more baffling. But then again, you know, if we're being honest, Jules, Matt Ryan has played minute, uh, limited football over the last mm. 12 months in particular and has still been a fantastic player for the Socceroos, arguably the Socceroos best player during their World Cup qualific- uh, qualification campaign. So even though he's not played too much, it hasn't affected Matt at all. In a way, does this, if, with Mitch being left out, does that take, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, because most people in professional team sport will say competition for spots is a great thing. It keeps everyone on their toes. But in a way, does it does it take the pressure off Matt? It, 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 it's a clear... I guess, demonstration that he is the number one and, and that will be his spot. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it because I think you know Matt Ryan is is undoubtedly someone that has spent you know if you flipped it he's been in the position that Mitch Langerak has been at club level. You know he's always been breathing down the neck of of the number one goalkeepers. You know even when he was ousted at Brighton, then he was at Arsenal. You know when he was at Real Sociedad, he's had those those periods of his career where he's always been the chaser in terms of getting that number one spot. So I think coming into this, you know, knowing that he is captain, I think you're right. It probably does give Matt Ryan some, some assurances, not that I think he would need them. I know Matt as a character and he, you know, he's not that sort of person at all. He's, he's not bitter. I think you've only got to look at the way in which he handled being, being subbed against Peru for Andrew Redmayne to come on. You know, Matt Ryan didn't know that he was going to be subbed if there was a penalty shootout. So I think you've got to look at that and think maybe Matt doesn't need the assurances, but it's Graham Arnold's his way of saying, listen, you're my guy. We trust in you. You've, you know, you're, you're our captain. You are arguably our best player. Um, you've helped get us to where we are now. The spot's yours. And, and I think if you look at the other two goalkeepers that are going to be called up there, Danny Vukovic has, has played pretty well for, for the Central Coast Mariners, but I think even Vukovic would, would admit that, you know, he's not expected to start at the World Cup. And, and you know, Danny Vukovic was, was also on the bench when Andrew Redmayne got, got the nod to come on for the penalty shoot against Peru. So there's probably a, 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 some sort of messaging there that Graham Arnold and John Crawley, the goalkeeping coach, have maybe discussed and thinking, well, listen, if Matt Ryan does get injured, we know that Vuka can step in as and when he needs to. And if we get to the same situation where it's a penalty shootout, heaven forbid, then we know that Andrew Redmayne, you know, he saved another penalty at the weekend in the A-League. We know what he can do when he's faced with a ball from 12 yards. So it might be the assurances for Matt Ryan, but also I think it could just be part of a little bit of a larger game plan that, that maybe the coach and the goalkeeping coach have concocted. Speaking of James, Dot, about the upcoming announcement of the Socceroos squad, are, we, are you surprised Adam Taggart has been left out or is that not a shock to you? I thought about this this morning. If, if there was anybody that, for me, of the strikers that was going to miss out, I think it was probably going to be Adam Taggart because I think if you look at goals and, and purely a player that, that can score goals, you know, penalty, penalty box goals, six-yard penalty spot, Jamie McLaren's your man. You know, he's, he's banging in goals for fun in the A-League again this season. He's been the golden boot holder the last two seasons. You know, if you need someone to put the ball in the back of the net, it's going to be Jamie McLaren. So you think he is there, even if he's coming on as a substitute, specifically against France, you think he might start against Tunisia because that could be a game where they feel like they could could feasibly get a result. But then you look at Mitch Duke. Mitch Duke will be Graham Arnold's battering ram, realistically. And I'm guessing Mitch Duke will be selected. I'd be very surprised if he isn't because... He can do the legs. He can run. He can hold the ball up. He's good in the air, Mitch Duke. And it gives Graham Arnold that outlet. If, as we expect, you know, they're going to concede possession against France, they're going to have an, they're going to need to have an outboard, and that's going to be Mitch Duke up front. Then you've got the, the I suppose, the the Taggart replacement, which I understand is going to be Jason Cummings at the Central Coast Mariners. You know, he's only recently been brought into the Socceroos fold, but he was fantastic when he came into the A-League last season, and he's been brilliant again this season. If you look at the Central Coast Mariners, the way they play, Grand Quall gets you know the headlines and the attention, but everything good that the Mariners do going forward, Jason Cummings is a part of. You know he can set things up, he can drop deep, he can score goals, he's a good passer of the ball, and I think maybe there could be a bit of recency bias with Graham Arnold's selections going into this, but I think Jason Cummings deserves to get the nod to go in that squad, and and then Matt Leckie will be going as well, and and you know Matt Leckie has that versatility that I think Graham Arnold will really like. He can play out wide, he can play through the middle if need be, and and I think all of those combinations are really what suits Graham Arnold. And I think Adam Taggart, you know, he's been unlucky with injuries and 
and he hasn't been too prolific in the J League this season. And I think maybe that, uh, sorry, in career this year, and I think maybe that's just played against him. Just quickly before I let you go, James, uh, Harry Suter is a, a player of great interest, back playing football for Stoke City after a knee reconstruction. Is it is it a given he is in this squad? Uh, and if he is, do we expect him? Is he going to be in the starting eleven? What sort of role can he play in a World Cup coming off an ACL? Very tough, isn't it? I think you know you ask any anyone from any sport, Jules, and and when they have that injury, it, they say not just the physical aspect of coming back and playing at your your maximum level, but I think it's the mental aspect as well. And you know, Harry Suter was such a key player for the Socceroos before he got that injury. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get named, um, but you know, fifty fifty. I also wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't just because it might might come too soon for him you know if he's going to my, my take would be that if he's going to be named then he's going to be playing because I don't think you risk taking someone to a World Cup that's played very limited minutes you know because of injury not because of someone like Grant Qual who's a young kid you know Harry Smith is an experienced player who's coming off a very long-term injury whether or not he thinks it's right for him to be pushed into a camp and training and playing games every three or four days I think that's a big ask, but he's that good a player. You know, Harry Sutter would, I think if he gets picked, he walks into the team. Well, James, unfortunately, we've run out of time to talk about Arsenal. I really wanted to dig deep into <laughs> Arsenal's uh, trajectory this year, but we've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, mate, thanks thanks for your time. Uh, Fox's loss is the A-League's gain. Uh, good luck with the new gig, and I'm sure we'll speak shortly. All the best, Jules. Speak to you soon. Great to speak to James Dodd. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Just a reminder, after one, we're going to do a bit of horse racing. Uh, Jamie Mott uh, had a great spring carnival. He'll join us after one here on SEN Afternoons. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Big two hours coming up after the one o'clock news. Jockey Jamie Mott, who's uh, had two Group 1 successes. He had to wait a long time for a Group 1, and he's got two in the space of a few weeks over the Spring Carnival. So we'll speak to him just after one o'clock. Also, in the next hour, we're going back to the 2002 draft. Should have been a great draft for the Blues. They would have had picks one and two, and then the salary cap... uh, Cheating was exposed. They lost those. They had to get some late gems and they got one in Brad Fisher. He'll join us around about 1.30. After 2 o'clock, we'll talk some more football uh, with Simon Hill and Kane Pittman from ESPN will join us to talk basketball both here and in the NBA. Just a few more uh, great moments since 2000 uh, off the 40 weeks uh, temper. Troy and Chelsea's got a few. Buddy Franklin running, running away from Kale Hooker and goaling twice. Yeah, that was an amazing goal. Rioli Jetta grand final sprint. Shane Crawford, that's what I'm talking about. And Buddy's hurdle goal against Collingwood in 2013 from inside the square, centre square at the G. I think he might be a Hawks supporter. Just quietly uh, there, Troy in Chelsea. Keep your nominations coming through on the temper text. We've got some more time to take your calls as well. one 736 736 Now time for the news. Master Builders Victoria, supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Here's Coolside Mav on the outside running on with I Am Superman and then Buffalo River. Coolside Mav up to Tuvalu. I Am Superman chasing both of them. Coolside Mav just in front and one. Nature's Trip's going to have to lift. Rocket Horse, the centre just in front of Nature's Trip. Rocket Horse. Rocket Horse has won it from Nature's Trip.
I'm sure that's music to the ears of our next guest, uh, jockey Jamie Mott. Uh, fantastic victory on the weekend with Rock and Horse. And earlier, his first Group 1 victory in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes. And uh, Jamie's been good enough to join us this afternoon. G'day, Jamie. G'day, mate. How are you going? Very, very well. How are you going, uh, more importantly? Uh, <laughs> waited so long for a Group 1 win and then uh, two significant ones in a pretty short uh, space of time. Yeah, unbelievable. Um Still pinching myself. Uh, yeah, what a what a ride the last five weeks has been. Um, what I've kind of been waiting for for a long time, but um, to get my first was yeah, just an unbelievable feeling. Sort of monkey off the back, and and then to do it and win a major, and I had my family there, and such a big day, championship day at Flemington with a huge crowd, good weather. It was yeah, it was definitely. Um, the best day I've had on the race course, that's for sure. What was going through your mind on Saturday when you did pass the post first? I mean, a lot of people thought Nature Strip would win that race and you've won. And as you say, it's one of the big days of racing in, in Melbourne, one of the big days around Australia. What was sort of your, your initial emotion when you when you realised you'd won the race? I was ecstatic. I had dead set electricity going through my body. Um, I felt like I could have jumped 20 feet in the air. It was just an unbelievable feeling and um, a feeling that uh, I'm definitely going to push and strive for to get to get um, to get a few more on the board because yeah it was just it, it was hard to describe but it was yeah it's just absolute electrifying feeling to to win such a good race and be in such against good company with with the best jockeys and uh, in, on, on on such a big stage like just unbelievable. Apart from you know the, the satisfaction of breaking through and winning a Group One, and obviously the prize money is pretty good uh, when you win these big races in the spring. What what does it mean in the short term for you in terms of maybe some other opportunities that open up after you after you notch a couple of Group One victories? Yeah, we, you'd, you'd obviously hope that it um, that when a, when a ride's available or, or someone's looking for a jockey uh, with a good horse and a good race, that that my name sort of comes to the table pretty quickly now. Um, Whereas in the past, maybe maybe I was sort of overlooked, and I'm hoping now that now that I've won two and, and a significant one um, last Saturday, that maybe horses even coming from interstate or overseas, that maybe my name gets thrown out there, and I'm a chance of getting on um, some nicer horses. How good can Rock and Horse be? She's bloody pretty good. Um, she's tough. She's only small, but she's very tough. She's got a big heart. She seems to be able to absorb a hot speed and and then really sort of not quick and fast off it, but really tough it out and grind it out and um, and be strong at the end of 1,200. And, and she, she's good up the straight. She's, she's absolutely superb up the straight. But I think uh, everyone probably thought the new market was a fluke uh, with a light weight, but um, even her runs after the new market have been super runs and she's kind of confirmed that... Um, yeah, she's proper weight for age now. It's been to Jamie Mott, who's saluted with two Group 1 victories uh, over the spring carnival. Was there times, Jamie, you thought, this isn't just going to happen? I'm not going to get that Group 1. Like, you've had horrific injuries like a lot of jockeys do. There was a time there where you nearly walked away from the sport. How many times did you think, I'm just not going to quite get there? Or did you always think that, uh, you know, your time in the sun would come and you would snare a Group 1 victory? I always thought it would come. Um, I was always very positive, positive minded, and, um, no matter what I was going through or whatnot. In the, in, at the time, I was always confident that, that it would come. Um, 
that's why getting on Kelsey Mav and, and winning one on him was just was was incredible. But um, to to then sort of four or five weeks later win a win a major on such a big day at Flemington, um, that was that was kind of a surprise and, and and what a thrill! Yeah, unbelievable. And for those that don't know your story, obviously a shocking crash at Cranbourne where you suffered horrific injuries to your legs. Like a lot of jockeys at times, there's been a battle with weight. Were you close to walking away from the sport at any time? No, I wasn't actually. Um, but obviously you do have your down times and you, you question yourself and question what you're doing sometimes. But um, you just got to stay strong. And, and I always did that. And um you do have your down, down times and that, but I always believed in what I was doing and I believed that I was good enough and uh, I put myself in a good place probably the last oh, the last five or six months uh, weight-wise and just doing a few different things and um, my mind was in a great spot. got a beautiful family, um, so I couldn't be happier and, 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 and just being in that, I suppose, um, put myself in that that positive, positive position. Um, yeah, look, it's led to two group ones pretty quick, so uh, couldn't be happier. So you mentioned there you've done a few different things and you've got yourself in in, in great shape and, and and got your weight, you know, where you want it to be. Um, tell us about these freezing ice ice baths you do. What, what inspired that? Where did that idea come from? Uh, so Wim Hoff, his name is. Um, you can you can look him up. You can Google him. He's got a few books out. Um, I would highly recommend them. Um, so it's basically uh, in the morning you get up, you do breathing exercises. So you do 30 breathing exercises three three times, um, and it just gets you gets you in a great mindset. Um, and then I go and get in the ice bath for anywhere from sort of two to five minutes. Uh, so the ice bath would be around probably anywhere from six to ten degrees, and uh, as you get out and you yeah you feel amazing. Is this it? So you do this every day? Yeah, yeah, every day. Um, so, I mean, what, what a great way to start the day. Well, some would argue that's not great, jumping in an ice cold bath, but uh, it's obviously yeah, but it's obviously the, working for you. The ones that would argue that would uh, have never tried it, obviously. <laughs> right, yeah, that's a fair point. And uh, is a, a plant-based diet a big, a big part of it as well? Massive part of it, yeah. It really works well for my body. Um, I've... I've I've obviously been uh, battling weight issues, being tall, and uh, I find the the plant-based diet just works so well for my body. Able to eat more, more energy, sleep better. It's just a yeah, it's a no-brainer now. Um, I wish I had it probably. Wish I had to try it uh, a lot earlier, but uh, I'm very glad I'm on it now. When did you switch to that? So I say I actually switched before I broke my leg, probably. Four months before I broke my leg, and uh, and the weight was fantastic, and I had that fall and broke my leg, and I half talked myself into thinking I wasn't getting enough nutrients, and maybe I broke my leg because I wasn't getting enough meat or whatever. <laughs> Some of the things you sort of start to Google and, and look at when you're in a wheelchair and, and you can't walk, um, trying to heal. Uh, so I, I got off it for ages, and uh, my weight was. It wasn't too bad, and, and uh, we had a we had a little week away in um, in Noosa, and I kind of wanted to get back and, and just be so focused and, and and as positive as I could be. And I thought 
why don't I just start training as hard as I can and, and I'll get on back on that plant-based diet, which worked so good for me at the time. And, uh, yeah, that was literally, that might have been a week or two before the start of the season and literally come out of the blocks of the new season flying and in a great spot, riding great, feeling good and um, had a fantastic start to the season and, and now two Group 1 winners. So um, it's obviously working working unbelievably for me. I've always wondered this with, with the jockeys that are riding in the, in the big day. So you've just had this massive week at Flemington, you know, big races, big crowds, all the attention on racing. But then a couple of days later, or maybe even on the Sunday, you're off racing somewhere else, you know, smaller crowds, you know, hardly any attention on it at all. Is it is it tough after such a big week in terms of motivation, the next few meets you've got that are, that are far smaller? Is it is it tough to, to get yourself up and going? No, not at all. You're still buzzing. You're literally dead set buzzing. Um, and and say say for me for instance, um, like Saturday, um, you, for days and days you have people still congratulating you even um, along the street or at the races. So that still gives that still um, obviously gives you a huge buzz. And um, yeah, no matter where where I go anyway, um, maybe it might be a little bit different for the for the top top few. But wherever I go, I'm um, always happy to go. And uh, James McDonald is, 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 looks like he's clearly the best in the business at the moment. Now, look, some say, well, he's on, he's on the best horses. That, that's, that's a big part of it. But when you look at a jockey like James McDonald, what sort of at the moment separates him from the rest uh, in, and the fact he's getting so many big winners right now? He's just a gifted horseman. He's the best I've ever seen. Um, or he's, a, he's basically an all-rounder, good guy, um, down to earth. Great balance, very strong, doesn't panic. Um, even if it's a nature strip in a group one and it's a dollar eighty, he doesn't panic, he just goes for the motions and normally he gets the job done. When you say he's a gifted horseman, just just explain that to us. What what are sort of the I guess the subtleties around that which uh makes him so good at what he does? Well, no matter what horse he gets on, he gets along with. Um he's able to He's able to sort of get on the horse and, and, and not even know it and get along with it straight away, which um, you can't teach that. Like, that's that's a gift, and uh, that's probably why he's so good. And if he's you, been so good for, for his whole career. If you could choose one horse in the country right now that you'd love to have a ride on, love to be in a big race on, who would it be? Uh, what race? Well, that's a good question. That that I hadn't really thought of that before I uh, asked <laughs> that uh, question. Okay, have you... Uh... Looking ahead to next, looking ahead to the Cox Plate next year, or that might be even too far away. But uh, if you just a trainer came to you with a great horse, you'd say, "I want to be on this one." Is, is there a couple? Mate, I'll give you a couple that you might have in mind. Um, because I'd love to, um, I'd love to get on my good mate uh, Clayton Douglas's horse, Giddy Kick. Yeah, would be um, something else. He's a pretty special horse. Absolutely. There's some good ones going around. Just finally, before I let you go, it was a little bit of a, a different day, uh, the Champions Day uh, at Flemington. It's, it's become a really good day, the old Stakes Day, with some fantastic races. How did you how did you see it on Saturday? Obviously, some fantastic uh, horses going around and, and a couple of upsets as well. How do you think the day worked in total? I think it was an absolute complete success. It was, it was such a great day of racing and 
you got the 1200, you got the mile, you got the 2000, and they're basically the best horses in Australia. So, only the premier day of, of, of racing, uh, I felt, and obviously might be a bit one sided because I was able to win one. <laughs> um, what a great concept! Like, uh, the best of the 1200, the mile, and the 2000, I thought it works fantastic. And, um, I mean, maybe they've got to do a little bit of work with the Oaks Day, maybe bring the Oaks back to 2000 and maybe have a group one sprint for the Phillies on that day. Um, but, yeah, what's, what's such a great week? Absolutely. It's a, it was a great week for you, Jamie, and, uh, and getting that first uh, group one, two in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes as well. Uh, well done. It's been a great breakthrough for you, and uh, thanks for taking some time out to speak with us today. Anytime, mate. Thank you very much for the call. Great to have uh, Jamie Mott on. Uh, it was a fantastic breakthrough spring carnival for him. Let's get another breakaway here on Afternoons. Afterwards, Hawthorne supporters, if you, if you heard Peter Nankerville's uh, interview with Jared today and you've got any thoughts, whether it's about the election about uh, or, or their on-field, uh, the direction they're heading, uh, give us a call, 1300 736 736. We'll play some audio uh, from Peter after the break. This is Afternoons. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. And Master Builders Victoria, get expert OH&S support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Peter, the men's program. So I played at the start of uh, at the start of the show Jeff Kennett's statement on SEN from May last year. But from 23 on, if we've got this right, we're in for another decade of competitive football. Is that wouldn't be your timeline anymore? Well, I don't. Peter? I think I think 2023 is ambitious, uh, Jared. That's. Um, but in terms of our our objective as a football club and our and our sort of global goal and what we're challenging ourselves to do is to remain a a very success successful club. The Hawthorne Football Club is used to that success. It's in our DNA. It's at, it's winning premierships is what we're about. So we've set ourselves the target of winning another seven premierships by 2050. And that's and and I think that into with Sam coming on board. At, and coaching this year, um, I think the football public had the opportunity to take notice and see what Sam is capable of doing. And I think the the, the fact that we've we've got a very young list, you know, more, playing more players under 23 than any any other team, uh, an age-appropriate leadership group, um, senior players, more senior players with the the Sicilies, the Warples, Hardwick, Amon. I mean, we're we're I, we're putting together a team that will not only play finals, but win finals. What's your guiding timeline for the return to contention? I, I, I'm not going to put that sort of pressure on the football department or the coaches. Um, they, uh, we, we, at this stage, are seeing success uh, each week when we go out on the park. I go out on the ground and we, and we, and we judge ourselves by those successes that we set. What do you think, Hawks fans? Seven flags in uh, by 2050. Uh, well, they've been the most successful club over the last 50 or 60 years, so you, you can't blame them for setting uh, a high benchmark. What are your thoughts in terms of uh, when's a reasonable timeline uh, to return to success when you look at you know the trade period and players like Tom Mitchell and Jay Gromira go out? Uh, two pretty important players. We know Hawthorne is scrapping it 
Well, not right back, but a long way back. Is that the right way to go in this year? We've seen other clubs that haven't had to do that, like Geelong. Uh, so is it the right way or the wrong way? Uh, Hawks fans, if you've got any thoughts, give us a call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. So that is for down the track. But the here and now, well, within a month or just over a month, is uh, an election. Uh, Andy Gowes has put his hand up to be the next president of Hawthorne. He'll go up against uh, Peter Nankerville. Uh, of course, Jared asked him about... What could happen uh, in that election and the prospect, I guess, of having a, an open board election? Does the club fear an open contested election? N- not at all, Jared. Um, unique football clubs are unique. They're a, com- they're a combination of, of governance, the combination of passion, and it comes together in the context of, of, of an election. It's the members who, it's the members who decide. And, I, and I'm hoping that, that all of those members that want to see stability and continuity and consistency of decision-making coming through at the Hawthorne Football Club do get out and vote in this election. We've got so many, as I mentioned before, so many key, key priorities. And I, I announced yesterday that should I be successful as president, Richie Vandenberg would be, the, would be the vice president. And I think Richie, in terms of his reputation at our football club, in terms of his football knowledge and his footy IQ, is without peer. So I feel that in terms of a leadership team to take the club forward, uh, b- between Richie and myself and a very talented and committed board, we're, we're the right people. So preaching uh, stability there, Peter Nankerville. Uh, just a couple of updates around the cricket. So about an hour ago, we bought the, the story from Bharat Sundarayson, who's watching the Indians train in the nets. And there was concern over Rohit Sharma, hit on the right hand, Doctor had a look at it. Uh, he went out of the nets, but uh, he's just posted a video again. It has Bharat Sundarayson. and looks like good news for Rohit Sharma and the Indian team. He's just tweeted, Rohit Sharma has a new net now and he's smiling again. Uh, smiling again. He looks all right and good to go. So that's good news uh, for the Indian team. Also had a few uh, 40 Winks uh, tempers uh, come through just saying, if you look at their forecast uh, for Sunday, of course, the final is at the MCG. It doesn't look great. So 27 degrees. A lot of rain developing in the afternoon. So the question's been, what happens uh, if there is a washout? Uh, is, is it shared? Is it uh, the, the highest qualifier win? But there is a reserve day. So Monday is a reserve day. So if the final is washed out, um, it will be played on the Monday. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed with Melbourne's weather uh, on the weekend. But it's, uh, it's not looking great uh, at the moment. So at least... We do have a backup day, and hopefully, if it is washed out, uh, we'll get the game played on a Monday. So there has been a few 40 Winks temper coming through on that. So hopefully, uh, that has cleared that up for you. Uh, let's get to Rocco in East Bentley. He wants to have his say about the Hawks. G'day, Rocco. Jules, how are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Listen, there's nothing wrong. I'm not a Hawthorne supporter. I'm just a lover of footy. Um, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with career teams and uh, boards and clubs having ambition and having a drive for success. That's what you base your whole concept of in a business and an organisation, and it's great to have that. But to seriously turn around and say that they want to achieve seven premierships by the year 2050 as a number, that equates to one premiership every 3.8 years. That was a very, very silly number to throw out. I don't know if he was just saying it or if he was just trying to be positive, but in football with equalisation and the draft and stripping everything back, great sides have not been able to achieve that over a long period of time. So I just found it very odd him saying that, mate. 
Yeah, it is. But Rocco, I'll, I'll counter you that because you, you're right with the salary cap and and all the equalisation measures. But if you just look at this century, I mean, we've had Brisbane. I know it's not seven premierships in total, but a logic say teams shouldn't be winning three in a row and three out of four. But we've had it. Brisbane won three in a row. Geelong won three out of five. Hawthorne won three in a row. Richmond won three out of four. So there is clubs bucking this trend. So, and then Hawthorne's done it before. If you look at uh, their records, you know, 70s, 80s through to the early 90s, that they were winning premierships more regularly than once every 3.8 years. So it does, when you first hear it, you think, wow, that is uh, overly ambitious. But we are seeing teams still dominate for, you know, three or four years in terms of winning premierships in this era when it shouldn't happen. So... I'm not sure it's uh, out of reach uh, for the Hawks. But thanks for your call. A $100 Ballers Clubhouse voucher coming your way. Let's get to the newsroom afterwards. Going to go way back to the 2002 draft. And an absolute bargain for the footy club was Brad Fisher. He'll join us next. One part that that is a, a consistent theme right throughout your story is discovering and coming back to what you call that that courage mantra that, that Ben encouraged you to pursue. So do what you know, do what you know. The trigger to go taller, not small, that you would come back to in your in your darkest moments, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that was that were the tools that, that the people, excuse me, the people around me were able to help me learn and build. And I think we invested just as much time into the mental side of my game as we did the physical and that that allowed us to to trust both to lean on both at different times and and to know that um i I had the ability to to work things out i had the ability to be calm and and to execute have clarity under pressure uh which is ultimately what what professional sport is all about and what was yours again i'm you had a couple but the main one was i'm enough was that right i'm enough yeah yeah it it, it was it was a, a simple reminder to me and it was something that i had written in my tennis bag, uh, you know, I had written down in, in my kind of diary journal notepad. It was something for me that was just a very simple reminder each morning that that who I am um, was enough. I, I'm worthy of, of dreaming. I'm, I'm worthy of being successful and, and worthy of um, getting the best out of myself. That was a great Ash Barty on Breakfast This Morning with Simon O'Donnell and Sam Edmund speaking about her book, My Dream Time, A Memoir of Tennis and Teamwork. It's, We'll never know, but it would have been fascinating to know what Ash Barty uh, could have achieved this year because Igor Sviontek had a dominant year, world number one, and Ash Barty had a great record against her. So what Ash could have done, potentially adding more Grand Slams uh, to her two and, of course, winning the Australian Open uh, at the start of the year. We will never know, but she's happy in retirement, uh, and that is the main thing. Uh, before we get to the break, we'll get to Brad Fisher, uh, former Blue, uh, afterwards. A few coming in off the temper text about the Hawks. Hawks won four in seven years but can't win seven in 23 years. Caller needs to go back uh, to primary school math. Another one here, 20, 2008, 2013, 2014. 2015, four in 14 years. Uh, so a few there suggesting that uh, the Hawks can live up to that lofty expectation of seven flags in 50 years. Let's get to the break. On the other side, we're going to go way back to the 2002 draft. So we're 20 days away from the 2022 version. We'll go back to 2002 with one of the late gems in that draft, Blue Brad Fisher. Get your 
access to the best in construction industry training, call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Well, the 2002 National Draft was uh, going to be very exciting for the Carlton Footy Club. They're going to have the first two picks. So Carlton fans were picturing, yeah, Brendan Goddard, lifelong uh, Carlton fan, Daniel Wells in the Carlton jumper. Then they were hit with big salary cap breaches. They lost those picks. Goddard, as we know, goes to St Kilda. Wells goes to North Melbourne. So they had to find some late gems that year, the Blues. And they did. Pick 45, none other than Cade Simpson. Then at pick 72, the third last selection or live selection of that draft, they snared Brad Fisher, who went on to be a wonderful forward for the Blues. And he's joined us this afternoon to reminisce. G'day, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Before we get into going back now, we know uh, you're doing some building work now. You've got your business uh, with one of your other former teammates in Greg Bentley. And... Uh, I believe you might be working on one Andrew Mars house. Is this true? No, we've stopped. We've stopped all work because we're still waiting on some invoices to be paid. <laughs> so um, we've uh, we've down tools and I've pulled the boys off site. And uh, no, nah, they're uh, they're great. Yeah, Andy and and his wife Emma. Lucky uh, Andy's got Emma there because yeah, he has absolutely no idea. But uh, no, nah, they're good for good to work for. They have got a great little place down here in uh, in Sorrento, and um, yeah, enjoying. Uh, Doing something a bit different. Do you get a word in when you talk to him about the build, or does he just talk about Carlton and himself? <laughs> no, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He does like to uh, go into a few stories about his ninety-nine goals and points to kick that day, and, and, that, and that's, I just wander off when he when he gets on a tangent. But uh, no, he's a ripper. No, he, uh, we've heard that ninety-nine goal story far too many times <laughs> uh, in here. What are your memories of uh, draft time, Brad? Because it, it was an extraordinary time for the Carlton Footy Club, and then you picked up late. What are your memories of draft day, and then and then what you walked into at Carlton? Yeah, memory's pretty foggy now. Um, Twenty years on, so yeah, making me feel pretty old. But yeah, I remember I went around to a, a teammate's house from uh, Eastern Rangers, and it a, a guy named Stevie Donnell. It was before it was uh, televised, and it was only on t- on the internet. And I didn't even have the internet, so we went around there a few teammates and. Uh, I'd never spoken to Carlton, and they were the last team. I think they had three picks to go, and um, and uh, yeah, we we played the year before with Michael Fredo, who went on to play nearly 300 games for the Kangaroos, but he, he didn't get picked up. And I sat there and said, "All right, Carlton have just won the wooden spoon. I reckon they need a ready-made player." And then they called my name out, so the boys called me ready-made for the next um, <laughs> next few years. But at 72 kilos and 190 centimetres, I certainly wasn't ready-made. Uh, yeah, needed a bit of time in the gym, but yeah, it was just so exciting. I. Yeah, I probably thought I was more of a, a rookie list chance. I had a couple of dodgy knees that sort of um, stuck around with me throughout my career, but I was I was hopeful. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe my luck when, um, yeah, it was just up the road in, in Carlton and I was going to be playing with Cage Simpson, who was a junior teammate as well. I was, um, yeah, couldn't believe it. Did you, I mean, you're only a, a teenager at the time, but did, did you have a sense you were walking into a club that was in a bit of turmoil, a new coach with Dennis Pagan, and then his prize picks are gone? Did it, did it feel like that or was it just the excitement of, of getting into a footy club, you didn't even, you weren't sort of even aware of what was going on around you. Yeah, I probably get told I still lack a little bit of awareness of what's <laughs> happening. And to be honest, I had no idea. I knew we'd missed out on, um, you know, got out of Wells, and um, which was probably good for me and, and not good for uh, anyone else because it, it gave me a chance. But yeah, as a young fella, it wasn't until probably, um, you know, you sort of hear a few things about what's going on, but you're not too stressed. You're worried about trying to put on a bit of size and. 
whether you're going to be lucky enough to play a game. And it probably wasn't until years later when, when I heard Dennis Pagan on open mic and a few um, speaking of board members, and they, they said, you know, they nearly handed the keys back at the current footy club. And, um, and yeah, he didn't know what he was walking into. But, yeah, young and naive, I was just that excited to be on a list. And, yeah, I didn't know what was going on and up around me. And, um, yeah, looking back, I think it was a pretty... Um, yeah, pretty interesting time to be at the club. Well, and I guess if you're a Carlton player, the the game that the whole club looks forward to is against Collingwood, and that's who you made your debut against in round two, two thousand and three. That's a it's a fairly decent game to make your debut in. Yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. It was um, back in the day where you'd sit on the bench for the <laughs> you know three quarters, and I didn't get on. And I remember Brett Ratton, who later coached me and and uh, and sacked me as well. He uh, he was the <laughs> captain at the time, and he just said. Uh, he just said, "You look like a, you know, you haven't been under. You look like a deer in the headlights at halftime." He said, "We're just playing a game of footy. That's all we're doing. Um, there's a few more people watching, but you've played plenty of games of footy, and that yeah, had, a, had a real calming influ- uh, impact on me. And um, yeah, to run out and yeah, managed to get on the ground in the last quarter and get a few kicks. And uh, yeah, I was just that excited. I, I, I was absolutely loving it. You're about six foot three, as you said. You weren't overly huge in terms of your frame, but you're a fantastic mark over your head. And I guess you, you're a long time a bit of a foil for Brendan Favola, so you would have had a great seat in some of those matches in that time where it was the Fev show. I remember a couple of games against Collingwood he kicked eight. There was a game against Essendon when he came from the clouds and he kicked eight goals as well. What was it What was it like playing next to Fev, I guess, in the good times and the bad times? Yeah, it was, um, oh, it was an un- unbelievable experience here in the, you know, the Carlton fans when Fev was up and going. I was, I think he used the word foil. I think I was more of a decoy. I'd sort of lead up and <laughs> try and drag someone with me and then turn around and watch him and um, go to work. But yeah, he, he was just, just unbelievably talented and, and drew the drew the footy to him so well. And he loved the big moments. And um, yeah, you sort of sit back and, and pinch yourself that you, you got to um, be out on the ground and, and watch him at his absolute best. I think I've yeah, probably played in about all of the games where he kicked big bags of goals and it was was, uh, pretty exciting. How do you look back on that time at Carlton? I mean, you had a couple of years where you you win pre-season premierships and there was all this hope and then the season didn't turn out right. You had a turnover of coaches. You had some good times. You know, Chris Jodd comes along and the team gets back in the finals. It It was a real roller coaster of a time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, And I think I sort of, yeah, I probably don't look back and think about it too much, but yeah, when you sort of reflect every now and then, um, yeah, it was just such an, an up and down time. But when you're when you're sort of a half forward flanker who's in and out of the side, and that you you're sort of not as you sort of going to survival mode a little bit, and you're not as um, you know sort of captured in in everything else that's going on as far as you know the, the ups and downs of the footy club. You're just trying to hang on and looking over your shoulder and trying to get a game week to week. And I don't know if that was good for me or bad for me, but um, yeah, we played through some pretty um, pretty ordinary losses. I think we lost three or four games I played in by over 100 points. So there was some some dark times, but I. You know, I was just a young fella hanging out with my mates all day and getting fit and strong and playing in, you know, in front of big crowds. And um, yeah, I was yeah, probably yeah, just really enjoying it. What was it like being a young player under Dennis Pagan? Notoriously tough, straight down the line. How did you how did you find him coming into a footy club as a teenager? Oh, I was I was unbelievably intimidated by him. <laughs> um, he used to not he used to think rock star if you had sunglasses on so Kate Simpson and I would take our sunglasses off about 20 minutes before we got to Royal Parade for training in case he was coming the other way in the car we were that intimidated by him but um, I loved playing under him because I just always knew where you always sort of knew where you, where you stood if you um, you know if he said something you knew it was going to happen and um, and yeah as a young player and we were struggling and he backed me in and if I had a quiet game he'd call me into his office and he'd just simply say you know we pick you because you can play and 
Um, you know, you might not have played as well as you wanted to on the weekend, but we're going to back you in and you'd walk out feeling 10 feet tall. So, um, yeah, I know some players seem to have had a different experience, um, especially Carlton when times are a bit tough. But, yeah, yeah Dennis was, was great for me. I sort of, I think I thrived a little bit more when I was intimidated by my coach and, um, yeah, wanted to make sure I was always sort of presenting in, in the right manner. So, uh, and it was a privilege. He'd just come off a couple of premierships and, you know, he was a legend and, and I saw it that way and, yeah, I loved playing under him. Speaking of Brad Fisher, pick 72 in the 2002 National Draft, went on to play 99 games, kicked 127 goals for the Blues. You mentioned a bit earlier in the chat uh, the dodgy knees and you had two reconstructions, one in 04, one at the start of 2010. One was traditional, one was Lars. A heap of other injuries in there as well, shoulders, dislocated elbows, broken thumbs. How's the body these days? Uh, no, the body's all right. I've got a, that, that right knee sort of haunted me now for, well, it must be 20 years, I suppose. Um, and I heard it again. I was silly enough to try and go barefoot and over summer up the river and, and heard it again. So apart from that, uh, the body feels good. Um, yeah, sort of, I, I was sort of always lucky. I, I healed quickly and, and healed pretty well. And as soon as I was, as soon as I was out there, I, uh, yeah, didn't really think about the injuries um, too much. And, and I played a fair bit of local footy and some state footy once I finished and I never really got injured again. So I uh, got all my bad luck when I was, uh, when I was at the Blues and, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't probably good enough um, yeah, to, to bounce straight back. And, um, yeah, it sort of always made it a little bit difficult when you're missing pre-seasons and, you, you, you know, you're trying to put your best foot forward and you've got all these injuries. But, um, yeah, that's just the, the cards I was dealt. So 99 games. I mean, the lousy buggers could have given you one more, couldn't they? One more. <laughs> one more would have been, it would have given me a little bit of closure. I think I've, I got in, I had that knee and I got in for one game um, and we played Collingwood in 2010 and that was the year they won the flag and they beat us by about... 70 points, and I was a defensive forward on Nick Maxwell, and uh, Lumumba came to me as well, so I didn't get many kicks, and and I found myself out of the side, and I kicked a big bag of goals the next week in the VFL, and then the team of, I think, about 28, the squad of 28 for the next game was read out, and my name wasn't in there, and I thought, I'm in big trouble here, Um, with a few weeks to go, and and I knew that, and I was, yeah, just desperately trying to get one more game, but... uh, for whatever reason, they uh, yeah didn't see me as the, the right man to do the job. Was it going to come back to bite the Blues, Brad? Is there some talented young, well, young fishers coming through? Yeah, he's a good size, a young fella, and he's um, he's already a better kick than I was, and he's obsessed in footy and, and all sports. So, yeah, I hope not. Um, I, hope, I hope it doesn't come back to Hornham. I remember thinking at the time, just give me one more because I've, I've got a tall wife, and she's, she was a pretty good athlete. So just um, yeah, give yourselves a chance for 18 years' time, but uh, 20 years' time, whatever it was. But... Um, yeah, anyway, well, uh, yeah, just as long as he enjoys his footy, we'll see if it comes back to Hornham or not. How, how old's the young fella? Uh, he's only he's three and a half. But, um, <laughs> he's a good size. He's a good size. He sleeps with his footy boots on some nights. That's how keen he is. But, um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, does he love it. Anything, any ball sport, he's just mad for. It was an interesting journey post-footy. As you mentioned, you played some footy with the Bull Ants. You went over and played in the SA NFL uh, with West Adelaide. You've, you spent some time uh, with the Carlton AFL uh, w team as well, but also with the Players Association. You were a rep when you were playing for the Blues. How did you find your your time at the association? What, what was sort of the, some of the highlights working with the Players Association? Yeah, look, it was a, it was a really good role. It was sort of um, it was head of alumni, so all, all things past players. So as players are retired, delisted, and, and transitioning out of the game, um, they'd sort of come into the program and. And then it was a lot of um, sort of case management of former players who might have fallen on harder times. And um, and I really enjoyed it. I spent seven years there. Um, 
you know, it really was a good job. The highlights would have been yeah, probably, you know, um, we think we got $24 million in funding across the CBA for former players for their sort of health and wellbeing and, and a heap of different programs. So, um, yeah, that, that was pretty rewarding. Pretty rewarding. Um, they talk about the seven years. So I lasted about, yeah, seven years. And, um, yeah, it was just sort of keen for something else. And I jumped over and spent eight months uh, at the Cricketers Association and, then, yeah, we moved down the peninsula and I decided I wanted to hang around down here. So, yeah, rang up my old mate, Greg Bentley, who uh, you mentioned before, played for Port Adelaide and Carlton and is a builder down here. And I've jumped in with him and, um, yeah, enjoying the lifestyle. Beautiful. Give the business a plug. Yeah, it's Bentley Fisher Build. Um, yeah, so we do sort of uh, renovations, extensions, new builds, everything on the peninsula. We're a bit, a bit snobby now. We don't go too far. But, uh, yeah, we've got sort of plenty on and uh, we do a pretty good job. So if anyone's looking for anything, yeah, please reach out. Ah, beautiful. Hey, Brad, been uh, great to reminisce today. I hope it all goes well with uh, Andy's build. I hope he doesn't annoy you too much. But uh, it was a great journey at the Blues uh, for you. And thanks so much for taking some time out this afternoon. No, I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Great to speak to uh, Brad Fisher. He was a good he was a good foil. He's being a bit hard for himself. He's a good foil for Brendan Favola in some exciting times uh, there for the Blues. Let's get another break away on afternoons. Uh, plenty more coming up after 2 o'clock. We're going to talk some basketball with Kane Pittman and some Socceroos, the squad not too far away with our own Simon Hill. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Kane Pittman from ESPN will join us after 2 o'clock to talk basketball. Plenty going on in the Kyrie Irving situation. Ben Simmons spoke really openly in an interview in the good weekend with Conrad Marshall on the weekend. Spoke about his desire to play for the Boomers. And uh, Conrad was on breakfast this morning with Sam Edmund and Simon O'Donnell. If you want to hear... That interview, uh, jump on and have a listen uh, to the podcast. Also, the, the NBL dramas at the Adelaide 36s, unpredictable results uh, going on everywhere. So we'll speak to Kane after two about that one. Plenty coming in off the 40 Winks temper. You can contribute 0433 uh, One of my favourites, the big fish in the dark days. One of the best judges of the ball drop in marking contest. Sounds like a great bloke as well. Thanks for the interview, says JB in St Kilda. Uh, talking about the Hawks, Jules would be seven in 25 years or less as they are a mile off at the moment. Absolutely ridiculous comment by the president. Another one here. Well, it depends how you look at it. Uh, tanks in Footscray. Hawks have only won four flags in the last 30 years. If they think they can win seven in under that timeline, says Tanks in Footscray. Uh, the Hawks are in a world of pain, Jules. If those four players are their best, I think he mentioned players like... Uh, Warple and uh, Amon and uh, a couple of other... I can't remember who else he mentioned, but that if they're their best and most experienced players, they are in a world of hurt. So, yeah, mixed results uh, to the Hawks. Got a long time to find out if they can get it done. Uh, Kane Pittman, Simon Hill to join us after 2 o'clock. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. It was foolhardy and selfish and sensitive and all of these other things that we want to point to that he found himself in in this particular situation. So much so that the Anti-Defamation League is involved along with the NBA and Commissioner Adam Silver who's scheduled to meet with Kyrie Irving if he hasn't already or isn't right now. We don't know. So all of those things being taken into consideration, I would say this is the most most unique situation that Kyrie Irving has found himself in, arguably the most humbling situation that he has found himself in where his career 
is absolutely positively on the line. Knowing that, that encourages me, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, to take that last, very last chance. That was the unmistakable voice of Stephen A. Smith on ESPN talking about the situation with Kyrie Irving that saw him suspended last week. Uh, Kane Pittman from ESPN joins us to tell all things in the world of hoops, both here in Australia and the NBL. The boomers about to get back in action and also all the dramas over in the NBA. Kane, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure, Jules. How you doing, mate? I'm very well. How do you think this is going to play out with Kyrie Irving? Oh, it's going to be fascinating because it's not only uh, the situation with Kyrie, but they don't have a head coach moving forward. They're still waiting to make a decision after uh, the parting ways with Steve Nash. But uh, to the clip that you just played from Stephen A. Smith, uh, the point is that until this point, Kyrie Irving has never been punished in a way that you actually believed that his career might be at risk. And that's the difference here. Even last year with the vaccination stuff, Uh, other times when he's decided to step away from basketball. He's kind of been left to do his own thing. But on this occasion, uh, they suspended him. Then the apology came. So now we'll wait and see uh, what the next steps are with the Nets. So there was reports yesterday, some of the demands were an apology, $500,000 donation, um, you know, meet with Jewish leaders, meet the the Nets owners, sensitivity training, anti-Semitism training. I mean, are these some of of the hoops he's going to have to jump through? And so you actually... Is there actually genuine thoughts that his career right now is sort of hanging in the balance a little bit? Uh, It could, but, I mean, if he wants to follow those steps and do uh, all these things to get back on the floor, then he'll be able to do that. Ultimately, the skill or the talent of Kyrie Irving has never been in question, and it's not in question now. He's played some some decent basketball to start the season, but uh, along with the Nets, with the Ben Simmons stuff they've been following in previous years, Kevin Durant requested a trade out of this franchise, and now this latest... Uh, Kyrie Irving, a drama. There's just been constant distractions with the Brooklyn franchise, a team that expected that they were going to be competing for a title. And uh, along with moving on Steve Nash, you just get the sense that the franchise has decided that uh, they're at breaking point and they either stand up now and, and try and do the right thing, or, or if not, um, they're just going to continue to find themselves in the middle of the pack and, and not having success, but also just having all this drama on the franchise as well. Does Ben Simmons... I know it's very early in the season, but does he does he see the season out in Brooklyn? I mean, there's reports today that Dallas are having a look at him. Oh, it will be interesting. I mean, I've always been of the, of the opinion that if Ben Simmons came back to play this season, which he has, that everyone needed to be patient about what you were going to get on the floor. Now, as I, as I mentioned, you've got a Brooklyn franchise that has been wanting to contend for the last few seasons. They haven't gone beyond the second round. So there probably isn't a lot of patience there. We know Ben is on a lot of money for the next few years and that's locked in with his contract, but uh, he didn't play at all last year and he had back surgery. It's not like, I know people get this a little twisted that he was just sitting at home and not playing, but he had a a, a back injury that required surgery at the end of the season. He hasn't played in the NBA for uh, well over a year. So it's going to take some time. Again, the question will be whether Brooklyn wants to completely reset the franchise potentially move on Kevin Durant, potentially move on Ben Simmons, and then we'll see what happens with Kyrie. But uh, I just think there just needs to be a little more patience with Ben, who physically right now, not just the back, but he's having knee problems as well. He's just not 100%. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people do have to be a little bit more patient with Ben Simmons. Uh, 
back home, Kane. We're speaking to Kane Pittman from ESPN. Now, dramas at the Adelaide 36ers haven't made a great start to the season. Three wins, uh, four losses, even though it's a very unpredictable uh, NBL right now. But it appears they've parted ways with their import, Craig Randall, who was pretty good on the court, but it just seems like uh, he was far too big a distraction uh, off it and certainly wasn't getting along with his teammates. Yeah, incredibly talented. I saw him only live once when Adelaide came through Melbourne last weekend. And uh, he was must-watch when he was on the court. Third leading scorer in the league. Could get you 20 points uh, per game. But we heard stories going all the way back to the preseason tournament in Darwin that there was uh, some conflict in the locker room and perhaps all the players weren't getting along. And, and it was starting uh, with Craig Grant. That these, these stories have been coming through from the team. Uh, we've been hearing whispers uh, around the team since, since preseason right through to now the early part of the season. So it wasn't a huge, huge surprise that finally got to this. The NBLs reached the FIBA break, and Adelaide's only at the quarterway mark of the season. They started late. They started after a bunch of the other teams. So uh, if you were going to make a change and try and uh, salvage your season, get back on track, get everyone on the same pace, this was the time to do it. The team described it as a mutual release, but um, certainly uh, not the biggest surprise that this was the result. Is it the right call? I mean, clearly there's some issues there with him, but as you say, he's an incredibly talented player. It's only early in the season. Do, can you make the argument that you try and work through it and, and persist given he's got so much talent or, or do you just have to cut the cord now like they have? Yeah, I think they've tried. Uh, I think they've tried and they've, and publicly they've been pretty positive about the situation and they've said that they're understanding that it was going to take some time for this team to come together. They were willing to work uh, with all the players in, in the locker room, including Craig Randall, but ultimately uh, they're in it every day and they're practicing and they're going to the games and publicly we've seen uh, some body language stuff. I never want to be a body language uh, analyst and try and, <laughs> and analyze what that means, but it's been happening at practice. It's been happening behind closed doors and ultimately the, the coach, the front office, and the players have, uh, have clearly gotten to the point where they don't think it's tenable moving forward and there's no point wasting time. What chances they find a player equally as talented to replace him? Well, this is a super deep and, and super talented roster as it is, and you could make the case that uh, with the way that they were playing, and, and look, Randall was a high-usage player. He was taking a lot of shots. The ball was in his hand a lot. Uh, there will be perhaps more opportunities for a more fluid offense, a more functional offense. You can get a guy like Mitch McCarron as the point guard. He can start to facilitate. He can have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Robert Franks, who I think is an NBA caliber talent, he'll be able to get more shots. He had 25 points uh, the other last weekend when Craig Randall didn't play. So uh, I just think that this team uh, will eventually look to bring in another import to replace Craig Randall, but it doesn't need to be Craig Randall. They don't need a guy to come in and be a leading scorer to have the ball in his hands all the time and get you those 25 points a night. They need someone that can defend, and ultimately they need someone that's going to fit in in a system where they are playing more as a unit rather than individuals. Great atmosphere at John Kane Arena on Sunday uh, for the throwdown. Uh, great first half, and then United really took over in the second half, which I guess, Kane, going into the game, that was a result that we probably didn't see happening. And They've been a very hard team to get a read on so far, Melbourne United. 
Yeah, they have been, but uh, so is every team in the NBL. Uh, <laughs> probably outside of Sydney, it's been crazy so far. But uh, no, you're right. It was an impressive second half. But a couple of things have happened with Melbourne over the last couple of weeks here. So Shea Lee was sidelined with a concussion for a long time. He didn't play for the first uh, six or seven games of this season. And they need a point guard. They need someone that's going to get this team into their offense, going to control the tempo that Dean Victor wants to play. And then everyone else can function out of that. Isaac Humphreys will get his touches in pick and roll and more opportunities to score. Chris Golding can get uh, more more shots. And we saw him finish with 30 points in the game uh, against the Phoenix. And then the other player that deserves to mention is David Aquera. Uh, is super young, talented, uh, big, that can stretch the floor, can really defend it and block shots and protect the rim. He played for the Boomers recently in World Cup qualifiers. So... They've started to get a few bodies back, and they've started to play probably the basketball that Dean Vickerman envisioned at the start of the season. So uh, they're still up and down. It doesn't mean that they've got things sorted. They're still going to bring in another import replacement for Jordan Caroline. But uh, just as they started to get Shaley back and a couple of these other guys, uh, they're at least in a better position to have a rotation that feels like it can be competitive. Before I let you go, um, as you say, it's a very unpredictable league at the moment. The Kings have been pretty consistent, sitting on top uh, seven and two. At the other end, the Hawks are really struggling, one and eight. But just just above the Hawks on the table, uh, two well, three teams really. Adelaide was mentioned, but they they you know they've got a couple of games in hand, given they started the season a little bit later. But any early concerns? How concerning is the start to the season for both Perth and Brisbane, or is it not that concerning, given it's early and and the results have been pretty unpredictable? I'm probably more concerned with Perth than I am Brisbane. Brisbane had three guys. So Aaron Baines, we know about. Hasn't played basketball for a long time. Coming back off a major, major injury. And Nathan Sobey has been trying to get over a knee injury for really the last season. He didn't play at all in the back end of last year. And then the import guard, Tyler Johnson as well, has not really played much basketball. So those three guys, three key guys haven't played. And they had an absolute juggernaut schedule to start the season. Uh, they were on the road uh, for five of their first seven games as well. So Brisbane, not a huge surprise. I still don't think the roster balance is great, but I think they have a chance to start to get things rolling now. But Perth, uh, they need some help for Bryce Cotton. And this, look, we, we've said this before, he can do a lot and he can try and carry this team all the way. But ultimately, the league is too deep now. And so far this season, it's been Bryce Cotton or nothing, particularly on the perimeter. They need more from Corey Repster. They need more from Mitch Norton and Todd Blanchfield, these veteran players that have had uh, major moments in the league in recent years. But so far, they haven't been able to contribute. So uh, concerns for both. I'm not sure the roster balance is right on both of those teams. Brisbane recently uh, released one of their imports to Vondrick Walker. So they're going to bring in another import. Uh, Potentially, Perth could have a move coming as well. So... Uh, it's tough. Even though there's a playing tournament, even though there's six teams that are going to reach the uh, quote-unquote postseason, uh, there's going to be some pretty good teams that miss out. Absolutely. It's great if you're a neutral right now because you turn on the on the television <laughs> and you don't know who's going to win, and that's what uh, every league absolutely loves. Uh, Kane, as always, uh, thanks for your time. Plenty going on uh, in the world of hoops, and we look forward to watching it uh, with yourself and, and the others. A uh, great team, including Gazy uh, on ESPN. Yeah, pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Great to have Kane Pittman on for from ESPN. Let's get another breakaway. We'll do Lost in the Wash uh, after the break. So if you didn't get a chance to jump on at Midday Madness, thanks to Melbourne Roadside Rescue, wrong fuel extraction, 
Search up shipcreek.com.au. Jump on and uh, anything we've missed uh, you want to bring to the table, one 736 That's on the Werribee Kia open line. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You're listening to Afternoon. It's all thanks to Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. And Master Builders Victoria want the best in industry training. Contact Master Builders Victoria. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. You know that sound, it's time for Lost in the Wash, thanks to Identifiber, your specialists in asbestos and hazardous material assessment. So if there's anything we've missed or you want to have a chat about, one 736 736 Didn't mind this uh, 40 Winks temper about, we're looking at some of the great moments in footy between 2000 and now. Interesting point, this one. Does Hutchie's goal in the EJ Witten's Legends game count as a great moment? Wouldn't hurt to give it a shout out to the boss, Jules. Fair point, look. In a category of its own. Can't even put it in. It's that good. It would, at Claws, it would have been number one. But we didn't want to, you know, be disrespectful to the AFL players and the AFL moments. So, look, if it was an open slather, it would be number one. But it's in a category of its own. Now, Las Vegas has got a Formula One Grand Prix next year. Tickets sold out very quickly, which might be a surprise because it ain't cheap. General admission, cheapest ticket, $778. Uh, in a grandstand... Over three grand. Grand Strand Front Straight, $3,890. A VIP hospitality pass, $12,090. Outrageous, says Matt, off the 40 Winks uh, temper. There's talk that the the hotel prices will be jacked up by about 700% as well. So certainly not cheap if you want to go along to the first uh, Las Vegas uh, Formula One Grand Prix. Now, going back to the world of AFL, uh, we Peter Nankerville was on today, and there's uh, three clubs right now that have a vacancy in terms of their CEO. There's North Melbourne, there's Essendon, and now there's Collingwood after the resignation of Mark Anderson. So I believe maybe Simon Lloyd is one that might be in the mix uh, for the North Melbourne job, or certainly might be interviewed. But one man that's been linked uh, particularly to the Essendon job is a man that knows all about running big clubs here in Melbourne, Uh, Greg Swan. He he was uh, Carlton CEO. He's been Collingwood CEO. And for the last seven years, he's been the CEO of the Brisbane Lions. But uh, he spoke uh, up on SEN up in Brisbane today. And uh, good news for the Lions fans. He's not going anywhere. Hey, Greg. How are you? Do you think you've settled in Brisbane now? How long have you been here (laughs) and how's it been? And is there any thought of returning anywhere else? No, no, I'm good. I'm, um, what is it, seven years here? Um, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm staying and, um, yeah, no, there's a little bit of talk of, uh, people chat, going back to Melbourne, but not me. I'm staying here and I love it. It's great. Oh, beauty, mate. <laughs> Thank you, Heels. <laughs> As he said, he's been uh, CEO of Collingwood, so they're not going to have him back. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. You know, Xavier Campbell's name has been linked, uh, maybe moved, uh, 
with a move to Collingwood, of course, after uh, departing the Bombers. So, yeah, some big decisions there for, for three clubs, North Melbourne, Essendon and Collingwood. Uh, Simon Garlic was also on uh, with Mark Duffield in SEN Mornings uh, over in Perth. A lot of talk about the captaincy at uh, Fremantle. Is Nat Fife going to keep it? Is it time to hand over to a man that looks like an absolute captain in waiting? I think we all acknowledge that Andrew Brayshaw uh, will be the next captain of the Fremantle Dockers. Uh, but is it the right time? He's, I mean, he's, he's shown that he's a great player. He can handle responsibility. But do you give Nat Fife another year? So basically, Simon Garlic said that'll all be worked out in time. The most exciting part uh, for the Dockers is the fact that all things being equal, uh, that Nat Fife is actually going to have an uninterrupted preseason. He's actually in Nicaragua uh, at the moment, Nat Fife of all places. So, uh, yeah, so that'll be voted on next year. And whether, you know, Nat decides it's the time to hand over to uh, Andrew Brayshaw, who knows? But uh, certainly that's a decision. Uh, the Fremantle Dockers are going to make also lost in the wash. You haven't seen the Champions League draw uh, for the round of 16, which is played next year, was out today. Some interesting ties uh, a re- in the round of 16, a repeat of last year's final. These two teams keep meeting in European competition. Liverpool and Real Madrid in terms of the other English teams uh, in the competition. Uh, Leipzig will play Manchester City. Uh, Tottenham will travel to AC Milan, or got AC Milan. Of course, they're both home and away legs. And uh, Chelsea have driven uh, has drawn Borussia Dortmund. So that's in the Champions League. Of course, Arsenal in the Europa League. Not quite in the Champions League yet. But the way they're going, uh, Rod, they will be in the Champions League next season. Speaking of the draw for the... This is quite incredible if you said this four or five years ago. In the Europa League playoffs, Barcelona is playing Manchester United. Now, that has been teams that have won... Numerous Champions Leagues uh, between them. They're going beautifully in the league at the moment, Barcelona, uh, on top of La Liga. But they'll play Manchester United uh, in the Europa League, which is just hard. It's hard to actually get that sentence out. So uh, all those ties uh, next year. So that was uh, lost in the wash. If you want to add anything or send some tempest text through 0433-981116. And a few other uh, memories, too, are coming through. Great moments. Um between now and uh, 2000 in AFL. I think this one will certainly be uh, in the top five. Uh, Hey, Jules, Jason McCartney comeback game after the Bali bombing. The atmosphere was astonishing. That was was a remarkable night. It was actually two remarkable nights for very different reasons in 2003. That was one of them, and just incredible emotion around that game, the way the game played out. Jason kicking a goal late, North Melbourne getting over the line. I think it was by three points. Over the Tigers, then him announcing his um, retirement straight after the game with Tony Jones. But it was about four or five weeks earlier that the first time that Wayne Carey came up against Anthony Stevens, the, the tension that night in the stadium, a couple of times they, they, they came together. There was a bit of a physical altercation. There was one stage that Glenn Archer was standing there. It was just must-watch television. It was an amazing moment. And, uh, you know, off the back of, you know, real-life drama, real-life emotion, real-life you know, friendship being torn apart, almost playing out on a football field. So there was a couple of amazing nights uh, for North Melbourne uh, in 2003. So we'll continue that countdown tomorrow. We might do 22 through to 11 tomorrow, and then we'll count down uh, the last 11 uh, on uh, Thursday uh, for you. But uh, plenty more coming up. This uh, this Socceroo squad, not too far away, 4 o'clock. So we spoke to James Dodd earlier. A lot of talk, a lot of anger about... The reports that uh, Mitch Langerak won't be in the squad, seen a long time as the number two to Matt Ryan, had a great season in Japan, was almost coerced out of 
retirement to give himself a chance to play in this World Cup. Looks like he's missed the squad. So we'll speak to Simon Hill very, very shortly about that. Graham Arnold tonight uh, will be on Sports Day uh, with Jared Healy and Brad Johnson to explain the squad that he has selected for the upcoming uh, World Cup in Qatar. Look at the Brazil squad that came out this morning. Now, that is a strong squad. They can't even find a spot for someone like Roberto Firmino uh, in their squad. So uh, Brazil, as always, will go in as one of the favourites at the World Cup. Let's get uh, the latest from the newsroom. Simon Hill, not too far away. It's a bit better, Rod. It's a bit better. No CBD, thank you very much, that you played about half an hour ago. I think you're better than that. Well, actually, you're probably not, but I'm not sure about that choice. But that was better. That was better. Hey, late uh, lost in the wash. He was talking near the top of the show. Brendan Gale was on with Jared Whaley, just explaining why Richmond is so passionate to have their AFLW final uh, at Punt Road this weekend. It's you know, got a few Geelong supporters sort of scratching their heads, given uh, they haven't been able to have home finals down at Cadinia Park. Uh, so this is from Glenn. Uh, lost in the wash, whining big four or five club supporters, especially Tiger fans, complain it's too hard to get to Geelong for one home and away game every five or ten years. Yeah, I don't think it's too hard to get there. I think that there is an issue with the amount of fans that can get in, opposition fans, but if you're Geelong, you've got to protect your own members. So whether that changes a little bit when this, the, the latest uh, development at Continuum Park is finished and it goes to 42,000, we'll just have to w- wait and see. So Glenn goes on to say, conversely, then it's just as hard and expensive for Cat supporters to get to Melbourne for the fixture Geelong home games. If they have to travel three times, then it must be three times as hard and expensive. So that is Glenn uh, in Heighton. Now, of course, we've heard the Richmond side of the story through uh, Brendan Gale, but they are playing... Uh, North Melbourne this weekend, of course, uh, in the semi-final. Emma Carney, who, congratulations to Emma Carney, named in the All-Australian squad for the seventh year in a row, uh, similar with uh, Ali Blackburn and also Ebony Marinoff uh, from the Adelaide Crows. But uh, Emma Carney was asked her thoughts on the game being fixtured for Punt Road. For Richmond, they would they would be desperate to play at Punt Road. It's where they train and they know the ground really well. I think if you're looking for the fans, though, they've got a capacity of 2,500. So... We had four, over 4,000 at uh, GMHBA. We know that Richmond have a big supporter base. We had 3,500 at Arden Street a couple of weeks back. So, yeah, I, I, just, I just feel for the, the supporters that will want to get down to that game and won't be able to get in. So I think for me, um, I quite like playing it. Icon, it's smaller capacity, but it's still bigger than, um, like, small capacity to Marvel, that is. Um, but it's still got that community feel that is AFLW. So I, I like that element. Um, I would like to see it there. I can understand why the AFL want to have it at, at Punt Road because it's Richmond's home ground, but it's also likelihood that it will sell out. So they like that tag of being able to sell out games as well. So that was the thoughts of Emma Carney. It did sell out. Sold out very, very quickly. So about 2,800 will get in there on Saturday afternoon. Just noticed uh, the Collingwood captain, Steph Ciotti, also said that if she was Richmond, she'd like to play it at the venue that gets uh, the most supporters, and that certainly won't be Punt Road uh, this weekend. Let's get another break away. Simon Hill will join us as we uh, build up to the announcement of this uh, Socceroos squad. We'll get his thoughts on some of the reports that are out so far and also who he expects uh, to be in that squad when it's announced at 4 o'clock this afternoon.
Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Uh, the global game is always must listen, and it certainly will be tonight with Simon Hill, 9 p.m., because the Socceroos squad will be announced in just over an hour's time. Uh, and to jump on to share his thoughts and give us a preview of the show tonight, Simon's been good enough to join us. G'day, Simon. How are you, Jules? I'm very well. It seems like the Twitter world is blowing up with the news that Mitch Langerak is not going to be in this squad. What are your thoughts? Well, obviously, that's yet to be uh, officially confirmed, but that is the strong rumour. I have to say it's a strange one, if that is the truth. Uh, Mitch has had a very good season with Nagoya Grampus in Japan. I think he's won their Most Valuable Player Award. Um, and with a bit of a question mark over Matty Ryan, of course, he's not uh, playing at the moment for Copenhagen. Rumours he's got a bit of a knee injury. Uh, you would have thought that Mitch you know, might be next in line. That's not to say he would have necessarily started uh, in Qatar, but um, yeah, it's an odd one. I, I don't think there's an injury. Uh, I guess we'll find out more at uh, four o'clock when Graham Arnold officially names his squad. But uh, I, I'm personally, I'm mystified by the fact that he's you know not a, uh, not in the squad. If that's the truth, it does it does seem odd. Is it in some sort of way? Could it be a move to take some pressure? Off Matt Ryan, I mean, competition is great in any team. You want competition for spots and you want pressure being on the incumbents. But in a way, does it take some pressure off Matt Ryan if Mitch Langerak's not in the squad? Well, maybe, but is is that what the national team wants? Mm. Um, you know, I, I agree with you that essentially you need competition for places. I mean, you know, if you had two strikers that were pretty good, wouldn't leave one at home because it might upset the other. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why goalkeepers would be any different. And look, to be fair to Matthew Ryan, you know, he is a professional. Um, if you remember when Andrew Redmayne, you know, came off the bench to save those penalties against Peru, he was the, the first guy to, to go across to Redders. And he didn't know that he was about to be replaced and said, look, this is your time. Go and win it for us. Um, so it's, it's all a little bit um, confusing, but hopefully we'll get some light shed on it at uh, four o'clock. We're pretty sure that uh, Christian Volpato won't be part of this squad. It's an interesting time because, you know, he can, he can play for Italy. Italy. Italy, He's not going to play in this World Cup, but Italy's not in the World Cup this time. It seemed like it'd be a good opportunity for the Socceroos to, well, you shouldn't have to convince anyone to play for your country. But uh, have we sort of lost our chance, do you think, with Christian down the track to be a Socceroo? Well, I mean, not necessarily, because obviously he's not yet tied to Italy uh, because he hasn't played for their senior side in a competitive game. Um, so it's possible that his time as a soccer room may yet come. But, you know, it's it's whatever is within uh, somebody's heart. It's, it's whatever you feel. Uh, if he feels Australian, great. And if he wants to play for the soccer rooms, obviously he's just at the outset of his career. If he feels more Italian, more connected to that uh, part of his heritage, then, you know, that's fair enough. I don't think people should be rushing to judge uh, sportsmen and women uh, for the choices they make because, you know, there might be very good reasons uh, for that choice. Um, I, I think, you know, as, as we stand at the moment, even though he's you know clearly a player of immense promise and has just broken through into the first team with, with Roma under Jose Mourinho, and I know that Graham Arnold has, has been in contact with him. 
I think this World Cup is, is maybe a bit too early for him. Um, and Australia have other options in his position. Um, but maybe his chance will come in the future. You just don't know. And uh, as I say, I think it's... I, I don't like this rush to judge footballers to say, oh, well, you're ungrateful or you should play for Australia. It's, you know, it's his choice. Uh, and if he can play for both, then it's whatever is within his heart, what he, what he feels more connected to. And, and I think personally that's fair enough. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, uh, joins us. Just got one out off here, uh, uh, 40 Wings Temper. Having a lot of suggestions coming through. Who should be in the squad and who shouldn't be? Uh, one here saying Azani and Quoll must make the squad. It sounds like Quoll will, but is Daniel Azani going to just miss out, do you think? Look, I think so. And it still wouldn't surprise me if he was part of the squad because he's a very, very good player. And he's had a good start to the season with MacArthur. Um, but I think if, if you're going to take one X-factor player, and maybe Arnie wants two. Remember, he's got an extended squad this time, yep. uh, 26 players as opposed to the usual 23. So it's possible he could squeeze both in. But I think if it is a choice between the two, personally, <clears throat> and obviously I'm not Graham Arnold, uh, I'd be taking Garan Kowal uh, just because he is so in form at the moment. He is full of confidence. Nothing phases him. And I think he's got that little bit of an X factor that can scare defences at a World Cup. Now, you know, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to make an impact uh, at the very highest level just yet. But I think he's, he's certainly got that potential. And um, it, it would be my feeling that Qual should be on the plane. But maybe he'll choose both. Who knows? When the squad does get announced at four o'clock, Simon, who are the couple of names you're looking out for? You think they're sort of on the fringe, might make it, might not. Is there a name in there you're really hoping makes it that um, might be a bit borderline right now? Well, I guess I guess you're looking at the likes of Jason Cummings and, and Marco Tilio. Uh, again, two attacking players who've had really good starts to the season, but I'm fortunate for them that they've got an awful lot of competition uh, in the positions that they play. So I think they're probably borderline. Uh, interesting to see the makeup of uh, the defensive part of the squad. Uh, we've got some issues in the central defence because of injuries. Uh, Kai Rolls has been out for a while. Harry Sutar is only just making his way back, of course, from a, a serious knee injury. Trent Sainsbury hasn't uh, you know, played for quite some time because his, uh, his club side, Al Wakra in Qatar, have broken uh, you know, for their season to, to get pre- uh, prepared for the World Cup in that part of the world. Um, so how does Arnie balance, you know, the, those particular factors? Trent Sainsbury is almost guaranteed a spot. But the others, you know, it's, it's a bit of a the flip of a coin. And there are some injury concerns, obviously, over Nathaniel Atkinson, um, Matthew Ryan, as we've already mentioned. So there's a lot of imponderables. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out in about an hour and a quarter just exactly who's made the cut. Yeah, we're certainly not the only country with injury problems, but I guess that's going to happen when a World Cup is sort of halfway through uh, all the domestic leagues. Hey, we're only two or three weeks yeah. out now. How are you feeling about the Socceroos' chances? I guess there was a lot of pessimism uh, just before we managed to qualify. Are you sort of growing in confidence the Socceroos can do some good things in this group, or do you still think they're, they're right up against it? Well, if I can put it this way without sitting on the fence too much, I'm optimistic but realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the, the reason for that is Tunisia, who are the second game in Australia's group, 
are eminently beatable. And I think we are more than capable of getting three points in the game. Now, if that's the case, then really you're looking at a draw from one of the two other games and, you know, you could potentially qualify for the round of 16. Now, we drew with Denmark at the World Cup in 2018. Uh, we, we ran France pretty close and we played them first up. They have a reputation occasionally of being slow starters. Um, and they've got one or two injuries as well, Paul Pogba among them. So you never know. Um, are we favourites to go through? No, of course not. And, and we probably shouldn't be, given the strength of certainly France and Denmark. But have we got a chance? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it it's obviously depends upon you know, the team playing to their absolute maximum. And with respect, you know, probably France uh, being a little bit below their best in particular. But uh, I think it's a possibility that we could get to the round of 16. I'm sure this will be a topic on the global game tonight, Simon. How significant is the achievement of Kevin Musket to win the title in Japan, taking over from Ange Postacoglu? And we've seen Ange make the move to Scotland, and it's obviously going beautifully. Celtic. Where can you see Kevin Musket bobbing up next? Well, wouldn't it be interesting if he uh, ended up at Rangers because he actually played for <laughs> <He> Rangers? <did. laughs> I mean, that, that would just be incredible for Australian football to have Ange against Muskie. Uh, and of course, they know each other pretty well. And, and uh, Muscat has, has based a lot of his coaching on uh, you know the principles and the teachings of Ange, under whom he served, of course, at Melbourne Victory. Um, it, it's a huge achievement. It, it's not easy to go to a foreign country with all the incumbent difficulties, the language, the food, the culture, um, trying to get to know, you know, the football system over there and putting together a squad that's capable of winning a championship. Uh, and he's had to wait a couple of weeks because they had a couple of slip-ups at home. But finally, they got over the line. And I'm delighted for him because I think he's, you know, in the same way that Ange grew as a coach, I think we're seeing the same blossoming of Kevin Muscat in that role. And he's already had one little bite at Europe. It didn't really work out for him in Belgium with St. Troyden. But uh, I think, you know, within 12 months, he'll, he'll probably be ready to give it another crack. And let's hope this time he's, he's more successful. But he want to go back to Glasgow. Fair to say he wasn't the most popular player amongst the Celtic fans. Well, I, I doubt he'd end up at Celtic. No, I'm um, saying, but, but they're just living, just living in the, just living in the, living in the city. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what everybody has to deal with when you play for Celtic or Rangers. You know, you, you accept that that is uh, part of the gig. And you know, Muskie played there for many years. He knows what it's all about. Uh, I, look, Rangers have got a manager at the moment in Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, but. You never know, you know, within a year, uh, if he keeps going along the same path, then, you know, maybe maybe they could show an interest. And uh, if Ange was still there, and to be honest, I think within 12 months, Ange will probably be in the Premier League anyway. Yep. But, yep. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice to dream of a Celtic Rangers old firm game, or Glasgow Derby, sorry, we're not allowed to call it the old firm game anymore, mm. um, with Muscat and Postacoglu in charge. That really would be something. That would be unbelievable. Just before I let you... Just before I let Go a Rod, our intrepid uh, panel operator, Arsenal man. He reckons they'll have it wrapped up the Premier League by about match week thirty. But <laughs> as a Man City man, are you are you worried, or is this just a little cute start to the season from Arsenal? Is there any chance come the end of the season, Arsenal will be above Man City on the table? Oh, there's every chance, but there's a long way to go. Um, and you know, City are pretty strong as well. We're tucked in there quite nicely. Uh, we've got to play Arsenal twice still. Um, 
it's going to be an interesting battle. Look, I've been hugely impressed with Arsenal, and I was one of those City fans who wasn't necessarily thrilled to see Gabriel Jesus go mm. over there because I know how good a player he is, and he's proved that uh, wearing the red of Arsenal. So, you know, it's it's great to see them challenging for the title. Whether they can sustain that uh, over the long winter months, whether their squad depth is deep enough. You know, these are all questions that will be answered. But at the moment, you've got to say, you know, every uh, challenge that is set for them, they've passed with flying colours. I mean, they went to Chelsea at the weekend and I thought, oh, you know, that's potential banana skin. Um, But they got over the top of Chelsea. So, yeah, there's certainly challenges. And I think they're probably City's biggest challenges this season. But, um, yeah, I'd be, you know, as a City fan, I'd, I'd be quietly confident in our chances. I think you. I think you probably should be, uh, Simon. Thanks so much for your time. We can't wait to see who's in this Socceroos squad, and we'll be all listening to the global game tonight, nine PM on SEN. Thanks very much, Jules. All the best. Great to chat to Simon. He'll be back after the break to wrap up. This is afternoon. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing and Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Want access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Been a big show on afternoons. Just a bit of late news uh, coming through from Pete Ryan in the age. We were speaking about the vacant CEO positions uh, at the moment. And we said that maybe there has been talk around that Xavier Campbell uh, might return to the fold as Collingwood CEO, but that will not be happening, uh, according to Pete Ryan in The Age, saying it's expected that Xavier Campbell will take a 12-month break from the AFL industry as he develops a beer brand, Traveller, and does some corporate consultancy work. It's unsure whether Xavier was on a list of uh, candidates that Collingwood were interested in. So Greg Swan's not going anywhere from Brisbane Xavier Campbell won't be bobbing up at Collingwood as well. Big show coming up. I can see Andrew Gaze and Andrew Marr ready to go. They'll speak to Andy Harper all about the Socceroos squad, which is just about an hour away uh, from being announced. Uh, Ty Canelli, Swans 2005 Premiership hero, will also join the boys. Big thanks to Lincoln out the back and A-Rod, whose music, six out of ten today, I reckon. There's been some hits. There's been some misses. It's uh, been a big show. Plenty of world football. (laughs) Very good, A-Rod. Look forward to doing it all again tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.